0: listening to the bomb hole. bomb hole Podcast. It's going to be very hot. It's going to be very uncomfortable for everybody.
1: <laughs> the Bomb we going to slide down them big hills. You know what I mean? On a big, nice, burgundy snowboard. Okay, here we go again. We are back in the booth at the Bomb Hole, which is presented by Pub Beer and Liquid Death. Now, Stony Buds, how we doing? So good, my dog. Always, always love hearing that. To my left, it's a treat. We have Mark Carter in the booth. Mark, what's happening? Howdy. Happy to be here. Happy to have you sitting next to us. Now, for people that are unfamiliar, uh, Mark is a pro snowboarder by winter, rancher by summer, raised in 10 sleep, population of 260 people. Now, uh, he's a professional snowboarder. He's in the biggest movies with Travis Rice. He's a small-town kid with a global perspective but uh, let's just get right into it. So so where where are you coming from right now? What were you just doing? Well, yeah, um, just took a
2: shower last night after about six days in the desert. We have a, a big uh, southern lease in southern Wyoming. It's a big BLM lease with a lot of cattle on it. So I've been up there helping my family gather all the cattle off of it and ship them back to the fields for the winter. So just a lot of eating dust and ripping the dirt bike, uh, horses. It's kind of wild, man. It's, uh, it's, it's cool to be out there cause it's a little, literally you, you won't see anybody and you drive through that country and it's just so barren, but until you actually like en- embrace it and get into it, you really see the beauty in it and just like no cell service, just wild horses and elk and, you know, having that purpose to just, you know, you have one job: get all the cows to the corral. It might take, you know, it took us six days. Mm-hmm. Gathered over, probably. Well, we helped our neighbor too, <clears throat> who runs on the other half of the lease. And the lease, you know, to put it in perspective, is around 350 square miles. So you know, it's big. And that kind of country, with around for roughly 3,000 head of cattle strung out, you know, you need you need some manpower. But we use we use the motorcycles a lot to get. To get around them and then the horses to once we wrangle the the big groups the herds the horses push them towards the you know in the direction towards the trails we want to go and then the bikes are just out tucking in the sides and grabbing the ones that are out on the 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 little pockets that you're not seeing so um my hands are numb i slept in my camper I, i mean i rolled into sean's house last night and he, he's just like, dude, you stink. I was like, well, yeah. <laughs> he told me I smelled like a Traeger girl. I was like, well, at least it masks the the shit that I actually smell like, mm-hmm. cow shit. Uh, but, you know, I, I we've been doing that for, you know, th- that's just part of the whole program. We have the, the Carter Ranch in the north where the Intense where that's like where the headquarters are. But <clears throat> this place is basically in the red desert. And my dad has owned it for probably 12 years and I've been helping him gather it. Uh, so I'm pretty, I'm pretty familiar with the country, but still just like, you, you forget how much it's like, how big it is and how much suffering (laughs) is involved. Like just laying there with your hands numb at night. Like, okay, tomorrow we have dawn till dusk again. What kind of, yeah. What kind of hours we talk? What's the, what's the, I mean, daylight till, uh, the sun goes down. You're pretty much going the whole time. There's really not a lot of time to, to take off because you have the trucks coming so basically we'll get them all cows and they and they have their their calves with them too so you've got to gather them all and the whole objective of it is get them all in the trail and then because they couldn't winter down there the, the country's like they won't there wouldn't be enough grass and it's just barren gnarly country in the winter big snow drift so you get all the cows and then we'll ship them up to like around 10 sleep and there's fields that we lease out from the farmers and then they put them on the on the fields for the winter and that's where they'll You know, all these cows are bred. They get bred in the summer. We put bulls out with them. So, about March, the cow, they'll have to start having calves again. So, Mm -hmm. it's like this cycle. You know, all the calves that are coming off the cows right now that we're gathering, we'll we'll wean them off the cows and they're about 500 pounds. And then they go, they're sold. And then the cows are stay. And then, yeah, they're bred. And it's just a cycle. And then in the spring, we'll gather them off the fields, brand the calves, and just go turn them out on the desert. So, Mm -hmm. they actually live really good lives. It's Mm -hmm. like, it, it, it's interesting with that desert grass, you'd look out there and you wouldn't think that there's a lot of feed, but for whatever reason, and, and maybe it's just the environment, but that grass has so much, so much nutrients in it. It's really nutrient dense and these calves get huge. So they actually get bigger than the ones on the ranch that in intensely. And the grass is really good there, but uh, it's not as arid and, and gnarly of a country, but um, it's, it, yeah. Why so, do your
0: hands get so numb?
2: I just holding on to that bike. I Love mean, it's okay. yeah, just you know, it's it. It's not like you're on trails. You know, you see cows out there, and you're like, okay, well, I'm just going to go as a crow flies. You try to find a horse trail or a two track, but a lot of times you're just you're just going across sagebrush and rocks, and I mean, the country can be pretty pretty gnarly, but it's very open, and you better bring some binoculars because, I mean, <clears throat> the first years we gathered it, you would you would you know we didn't have binos. It was just my dad and I. I mean, literally the first year my dad had that lease, he gathered the whole thing by himself, shit! Really the whole thing by himself, the whole freaking thing by himself. Dude, wow. my dad's a battle ax wow. on a, on a dirt bike. And, uh, axe. so I started helping him next year and I was like, this is, this is a lot of work. And, uh, now it's just, it's really cool to have the whole family involved, my brother and his wife and my, my fiance and, and then my sister and her kids and just like, it's it's just like a full family affair. Everybody's working, everybody's has purpose and yeah, man, sitting by the fire at night and just cooking on the Dutch ovens and uh it's kind of what it's all about, man. You know, everybody's tired. You sleep good because you're you're
1: legitimately beat. But dude, it's it's fascinating. Uh watching all kinds of videos. There's all kinds of videos of you doing gathers and stuff online and they're all fucking awesome. But one thing that I was fascinating fascinated by watching you do this is you guys have all these different sounds when you're going by the the cattle you're fucking hissing at them and whistling <laughs> yeah. and like yipping and like yeah. all kinds of what are, what's up with all the <clears throat> fucking sounds what's well you're just it? trying to get them moving
2: yeah pay just, attention <sharp inhale> get them go yeah you know yeah.
0: uh do they know the different sounds is there certain n- ones? no no so i mean can just make weird noises. they know, they know to
2: go, go. i mean yeah. you could i i heard about this uh my dad was telling me about this old old man that helped him when he was a kid and he said he'd go out onto a ridge and just start doing weird, just like like he's a crazy person. And these cows would look at him and just stay, take off running. But just like all kinds of crazy noises. Yep. So I think it's like whatever you prefer. But you yell all day. That's probably why I'm a little raspy. I don't smoke, but I've just been yelling at cows in the dirt mm-hmm. all day. I like to whistle, but you yell a lot. Mm-hmm. And, and and it's to like project that sound so you don't have to go all the way over there. Because sometimes you can, you can yell at a cow on a ridge And she she'll run the right way. You can get her to run off, you know, because she knows the program. She'll hear the motorcycles. But I mean, it's like an art to moving cows. And and there's a lot of things, but like if you have a like if you have a bunch of cows and they're pair they have the the key is to pair them up with their calf. So when you first start moving a bunch of cows, if there's like four hundred of them, you want to just ride through them, get them all like in the morning, you want to get them all stood up because in the evening the cow will go leave her calf bedded down and she'll go walk off and eat all night. And so in the morning, when you go to move them, if you just came in there and just started moving everything, you're going to get them all, you're going to fight them the whole way. Cause they all want to run back to where they last saw their mom or their baby. So you can get them all the way, move them 10 miles. And if they don't pair up, if you don't hold them and it's a pain in the ass and they won't walk as good either, but you'll be starting right back at the, the beginning. So you want to go in easy, get them all stood up and then the babies'll get up and they'll suck their mom and get a, get some breakfast and then they'll be paired up and then you can line them out and they'll walk. And then, you know, you can walk a cow. Uh, shoot, I bet we've walked cows. The farthest I ever gone with a bunch of yearlings is like 20 miles in a day and they trotted. Mm-hmm. But that's without a calf and you know, you go 12, 15 miles, that's a that's a long ways, but you could you can do it if mm-hmm. they're paired up and they want to walk. Mm-hmm. And then if they're thirsty, that that helps. If you, if they know there's water where you're going, and they haven't had a drink. They'll get one drink a day a cow, and so if they're thirsty, they'll walk to that water. You just get them lined out, mm-hmm. but that uh, that makes it easier. But then you get the days from hell, the cattle battles where they don't want to go, and it's hot. Cows don't like to walk when it's hot, so you start at daylight, like first light. You're on these things. And you'll get you know you'll get half your day done, three quarters of your day done before nine o'clock, and then they won't walk as walk as well when
1: it's hot but i know it's a lot of fucking information no I, love I know a lot about cows information. Another thing, any of it. we're gonna for the record we're gonna talk about your snowboard career 100 percent. but i don't give a shit about that right now I'm, i want to know another thing too about what you do because you're like okay he's a rancher he herds cattle great like that's you ride around on dirt bike but when you get them all in the corral it's fucking dangerous right oh man yeah like it's uh
2: you know they're big animals and not that all of them but not that all of them are mean and they don't mean it. There's a lot, like most of the cows are pretty nice temperament, you know, or we wouldn't have them around, but you will get some crazy cows and these things. And you can say, I can see a crazy cow. They'll have a high head and they'll look at you and you'll see her from a mile away. She'll just look at you and they're wild. They're like a wild animal. It's like an elk and she'll just run. Mm-hmm. And especially on a motorcycle, you're vulnerable. Like you just got to get out of the way. I had one take after me yesterday and lost my coffee cup. I wasn't really paying attention. She's, I mean, she wanted it. A lot of times they'll bluff, but...
1: Like they're going to maul you, basically, kind of thing.
2: Yeah, she'll hit you and get you down. I mean, they won't hurt you. Yeah. And, that, you know, 1,500-pound animal, that will, that will, that hurts. Mm-hmm. And and they'll kick you. Like, most cows will kick you, and calves will kick you. So when you're behind them, you have, like, a sorting stick where you can kind of, that's like your, that's your buffer zone. Mm-hmm. I like my stick to be, like, the length of their leg so I'm not getting kicked, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you can kind of turn them It's your, it's your defense. You're so outnumbered in there, but... Your eye level with them, and when you get into a kraal or an alley, and you're starting to sort these things, because you—it's not like you just put them in a big corral and put them on trucks. Man, there's there's so much legwork. I th- I think I did when we just cutting the calves off. We have portable panels we'll put out in the desert to get them all in, mm-hmm. get 800 head of cattle in there. Well, those are cows. Plus, you know, 500 of them have calves. So you're you're there's a lot of there's a lot of animals, and so you got to split the cows from the calves, and then you'll have your neighbor's strays in there. You want to cut them off, and so you just want to make sure you have your cows, and you're cutting your bulls off because you're going to ship them different. They're not going to go with the cows. So there's a lot of sorting, and it's all on foot, and – I mean you're you're like I bet I put on like seven miles in the crowd just running back and forth cutting cows the other day Mm -hmm. Um, and then getting them on trucks because you can't put them all at once you know they go sections like the you know uh, a semi can hold like 43 cattle you know 45 cattle somewhere in there depending on their weight so you're putting like six on and then nine on and then eight on you so you have a you have to count and then you have to like make sure they all don't go on and smash and so you're like sorting and cutting and there it's like a it's a whole process but you're in there and these things i've i mean i've had so many close calls you know like i say about snowboarding is dangerous but ranching has always been more dangerous than snowboarding for me i've had i've been injured way more times on the ranch from all the moving parts you know equipment and to animals and horses and uh it just kind of prepared me for my snowboarding career more than anything you know learning how to wreck early on horses you know mm-hmm. getting bucked off on my head and, and then just like really uh there was never quit It wasn't like oh you know like oh you got bucked off in you know you're 20 miles from the truck what well, what are you going to do well you got to get back on that fucking horse there's so like we're done for the day my feelings are hurt and like no yeah my dad was gnarly he's like get on that son of a bitch get a hold of him man you're crying your, little, your shirt's ripped and uh it just it just taught me to You know, you, you can just do anything as long as you just kind of try, you know, Mm -hmm. all you got to do is try. I mean,
1: I'm curious too, you grew up in a population of 260 people, 10 sleep Wyoming. Yes, sir. Um, you know, what effect did it have growing up in a small town like that?
2: Oh man, you know, I think, well, you were accountable. It's like you couldn't get away with anything. You know, everybody knew your business, um, if you, from like the teachers, if you went out on the weekend and I, I was a, I was a pretty wild kid. You know, I think, I think I got my first MIP, you know, it was a different world. Like we were governed differently. We had a a town marshal that just looked, watched over us rather than try to get us, you know, like he, he really, truly cared. This guy was our football coach. And so there wasn't, like, I wouldn't say there wasn't a respect for the law, <clears throat> but we got away with a lot more shit than, like, say, the city kids. Because, um, you know, Bill would pull us over on a weekend, and he'd know what we were up to, but he was just looking out for our safety. There wasn't a ticket issued. He's like, hey, if you guys ever need me, you know, he he would, like, give us a hard, hard time, but we knew he was there for us, and you know, if you got in trouble, the only time we ever got in trouble is when we went to the other towns. We're like, oh, we can do this. and Then we'd get arrested. And then, you know, we'd show up at school and the teachers knew everybody knew. And so they'd try to hold you accountable too. So in a small town, man, like you're held accountable. There's everybody knows your business. And that's a good thing. I think, I mean, it's a good thing and a bad thing. Cause I don't think that everybody needs to know your business, which is kind of the state of the world we live in these days. But Mm -hmm. I think a person needs to be held accountable if you, if you mess up, but I think you need to be, um, you know, if you're willing to, to take responsibility and admit you're wrong, um, you, you should be forgiven. Mm -hmm. You know, I think there's redemption in everything. And I I don't know if that's necessarily the state of our world anymore. You know, Mm -hmm. I think that, uh, it's, it's kind of crazy, you know?
1: I, I love that perspective because you have that, you have like, you're a small town, you know, you're a small town dude, but you've got a global perspective. You've traveled around, you've snowboarded and then, uh, you know, gone back to that. And that's probably not uh, in alignment with a lot of people from where you're from. And that, that's yeah. a, something that I think is is super fascinating. Like, do you, do you, would you say when you go travel and you do these, you know, you go see the the whole, it's a big world out there and you go back to this tiny town, do you bring back some of those stories or, or yeah. anything like that and yeah
2: me. i man, i love to talk about the world i think I, man i love traveling and seeing other cultures and and it's the people i love to meet you know it's uh, of course the mountains and 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 all that adds to the experience but meeting people and hearing their stories and just uh those human connections are are most important to me you know because mm-hmm. <clears throat> i really think it's it's given me a perspective to to stand back and be able to put myself in other people's shoes. And I'm like, man, maybe you're not, you, you might not have the same as p- opinion as I do, but let me, let me see why you think that way. I'm always really curious. So like, mm-hmm. w- were you, that you're really passionate about that thought. So why do you think that way? And I, I don't think you can change people's minds. You know, I'm never like trying to, I, I think it's, it's a off when people try to like push their beliefs or whatever on you, their opinion. I think it's just more of like, Hey, man, let's have a talk. Let's chat about it. And this is my perspective. And this is why what's your perspective. That's awesome. Like, and then maybe you guys can come to a common ground because we all like, we're all human, man. Like, we all like, have the same goal to survive and thrive, you know, and I think that uh, we have more, more in common than than not. And Absolutely. I think that that the, the I don't know. You just hear more about like the, di- the division and, and everybody's so different. I'm like, we're not, we're like fucking humans, dude. Like mm-hmm. we're all the same. So it's just like, we might have different opinions and that's from your walks of life, but you have to respect people's opinions because that is truly like their life experience and what they've mm-hmm. lived. So I don't know. I just like to come into it and put myself in other people's shoes. And yeah. I think traveling globally is really giving me that perspective of, uh, it's being really open to other people's opinions. And, yeah. um, I think it's really important, man. It's like, it's like, uh, help me grow, you know,
1: well, right along with those, what we're talking about there. I think there's a misconception too. And you know, we were talking about it before we started recording, but you know, with food, you know, whether, whether you're talking about vegetarian versus, uh, being a meat eater, um, you know, whether you're, and it, it's actually kind of interesting because it's like, you're, you're, a you basically herd cattle, you're a rancher, you know, you're around, cows all the time and it seems like you almost align more with like a vegetarian in your in your morals in a lot of the ways and caring about what goes into your body and I think there's just a lot of misconceptions and you have a great perspective on knowing where your food comes from and and some of the bad shit that's going on with the glyphosate that's in fucking everything and and all that so I don't know there's a lot there but I'd love to hear you kind of unpack some of that stuff.
2: Wow yeah I mean there's a lot of layers and I think with starting with that is just uh, you can't put people in a box. It's not black or white. It's yeah. like there's so many layers to every everything. And when you start talking about nutrition and immunity and all these things, it's like it's 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 not cut and dry. But like our new our our food system is really messed up in a way that um you know it's it's expensive. And like so if you're living in the city, it's super expensive to eat healthy. So called yeah. healthy, what whatever you know. And and if you don't have that kind of income then of course your first option is to go to McDonald's and eat this dog shit. And, and then you wonder why you feel bad. And you wonder why like you get sick. It's like, man, it starts at the root of everything is your like nutrition and to just kind of like dig into that with like, you know, what I really know about it is in the meat industry in the food industry is like, man, I've never met a rancher that didn't love his cattle and didn't love his sheep or, or whatever it may be because you know it's really meat's really demonized in a way of like there are bad practices but there's bad practices in everything like that's just human nature you got to like dissect that and if a rancher doesn't take care of his animals he doesn't do well like the land if the land isn't doing well his animals aren't doing well he's not doing well so the they really are stewards of the land in a way that they have to manage the grasses they have to manage their animals and um I understand like the big farming corporate shit, like the big feedlots and stuff like that's bad. Like dairy, like there's some gnarly dairy farms and like those animals and veal and all that shit. I'm not, I'm not down with that, but there are some beautiful farms that do it right. And you know, I think when the the agriculture industry is such a, it's, 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 it's a really tricky thing because it's on sm- such small margins now because like, ranchers and farmers are starving like they you know calf prices are are in the in the shitter um and these people are trying to hold on to their ranches and survive with their families and that's all they know like people are like oh you could just change you can't change like you have this is what you do this is what you've always done so how do you expect somebody to like survive and i think that's how they get into these these Maybe not as good practices, like especially with farming, you know like uh tons of nitrogen fertilizer. I mean you need some fertilizer in some lands, but if you truly have healthy soil, you're probably not going to get the yield that these big commercial farms are getting, but your 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 ground's healthy, that means your animals are healthy, that means the people that are eating your animals are healthy and and that is all like a cycle, but there's not a lot of money in it that's the problem because you know. The guys pulling the strings they don't they don't care man it's about numbers and the people calling the shots it's about numbers it, it's like it's so it's corrupt can, man
1: can you explain how exactly the the roundup and the glyphosate, glyphosate and and yeah that yeah. damages the soil and what that effect has on just a little bit more of an elaborate level so people understand yeah
2: so like glyphosate so they come out with roundup ready products so like uh for the rancher uh it would be a Roundup Ready crop. It's called Roundup. Is like a it's a, a pesticide or a, a a fucking weed killer. So basically, thirty years ago, Roundup Ready came out. So these these crops were genetically engineered to be resilient to this spray. So you could grow your crops and spray them, and it would your crop would live. It would kill all the weeds. But that shit has glyphosate in it, man. And glyphosate has been linked back to the gnarly, you know, cancer and like all these problems that we're having with all of our health and all this shit, but you don't really hear about it a lot. There's a, there's a Dr. Zach Bush who talks about it a lot. And if anybody wants to know like what's up with glyphosate and and microbiome and that stuff, I'm no scientist, man. I just like kind of repeat what I've heard um, and what I've seen a little bit, but Zach Bush, he's, he's a genius when it comes to that. And he really breaks it down. So when you, when you're just eating chemicals in the shit i mean it's like duh we're fucking everybody's sick and getting cancer like this is not normal man and uh
1: because you're getting fucking round up basically on top of your food yeah
2: glyphosate's so gnarly man it's so gnarly that i heard about uh there was a there was a hospital in in uh in texas and so it was kind of like a hospice house so people were that's where you went to pass away and they had a huge rose garden and oh, I
1: heard this. I listened to the same exact podcast. I know where you're going. With you this. know, this you know what I'm so saying? Good. And yep. they
2: were spraying it with, you know, they were spraying mm-hmm. it with glyphosate and whatever product had glyphosate. So mm-hmm. basically they linked this shit back. They were like giving these people roses. You're smelling the roses. You're inhaling glyphosate. And they're like, well, we're, we're actually like, we're poisoning people with mm-hmm. these fucking roses. So it's like, I don't know, man, I, I've always been one to ask questions and, i just see so many holes in the game i'm like wait wait, and you tell me i can't ask questions i'm like well you're you're lying to me Mm -hmm. (laughs) like that's all i can ever you know until you can answer my questions and like be honest with me then i'm gonna be be skeptical of whatever you're saying like it could be like fucking skies orange i don't care I, I, i need to see it with my own eyes and i need to like uh dig into that but um
1: and then going back to what you're talking about too you know your, your point you made earlier about how it seeps into the soil and then the animals in mm. the soil and you eat the animals, right? So this this well, like long yeah. kind of effect the, that keeps the, happening.
2: The, all, all the microbes in the soil and like the top two inches of the soil, right? That's what, that's your health of your soil. And you just see, I, I see a, uh, a lot of these commercial farms and, you know, vegetarian or not, like I, a lot of people will just like be like, well, vegetarian's better. Well, I'm like, Okay. Well, let's dig into this. Okay. So how is your vegetables? How are they farmed? So if you're doing these practices, you're tilling the soil and killing all the, mi- the the microbes and then spraying it and then growing crops that look beautiful. Well, necessarily, I don't know if like, you know, you should do a little more research into that because that's really bad. Your, your, your soil is healthy and that's why they got to put like tons of fertilizer on the soil. So it basically just comes to like, I call it like mining, you know, it's like m- monocropping and you're pouring a ton of fertilizer and shit onto it to make it grow when really it should just be healthy soil and it should grow and probably not going to get the yield but that's that's why you know it's all about money and like yields Mm -hmm. and like
1: volume volume man
2: um but you know to to like talk about uh like vegetarian to meat and i'm like okay so if, if you're a vegetarian or a vegan or or whatever that, that's great, man. I think everybody's body is different and whatever makes you feel good, you should totally do. But to, to say, and and regardless of like how your approach to whatever it is, um, if you're on the, the stance that like killing animals is bad to eat, I'm like, okay, well, If you've ever seen commercial farming and you've ever seen a swather go through a field, there's a reason the buzzards are flying because they're chopping up every little Bambi and every little critter in that field. So, and how many, how many people is that feeding, you know, a loaf of bread and how many, how many animals died into that loaf of bread? But you know, one cow will feed a family for a year. So I'm like one animal, like if you don't be a hypocrite, it's like one mouse is less, is, is his, his, his life is worth less than a, a cow just because it's smaller or a a little deer. So, I mean, I, I, I'm, I hate hypocrisy. You know, yeah. I'm kind of like, let's just call it what it is. And I think you should do what's best for you and your body and what makes you feel good. And, but do research into where your food's coming from. Because if I'm hunting, I know where my elk's coming from. That food makes me feel amazing. Um, And I grow my crops. That makes me feel amazing. But obviously not everybody has access to that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, like we talked about earlier, how do you, how do you like navigate this crazy food system or whatever? I'm like, man, go to your local farmer market. That's your best bet. Like all this organic stuff. Like, yeah, maybe it's better than like McDonald's, but you know, the reason it's organic is because there's you, you can make more on it, and it's just sprayed with the whatever uh, (laughs) uh, government-approved pesticides.
0: When I walk in the grocery store, there's that chicken that's like $3, and then there's that chicken that's like $10. Is there a big difference?
2: Probably within the meat, I would say, but still, it's like, man, there's so much smoke and mirrors. It's like just learning processing, like processing our own cows in that world. uh, I learned that... (laughs) You know, like a grass-fed beef. Well, you know, people are going in there with intention. They're buying these beef that live on the range their whole lives Well, no, they were, they were in a feedlot and then they finished them on grass for 40 days. Now it's grass fed beef because you can make fucking money on it.
1: Oh, that's how they, that's how some of these companies that's do what I was wondering. And yeah, I'm that's not saying everybody does that, but
2: that's like the, that's like the, that's a shit you got to navigate that nobody's going to dig into that unless yeah. you know, it's like, unless
1: you know your
0: farmer,
2: people are just lying to you. You know, people are just lying to make money and I, and you see it on every level. They're just lying to you to make money. And it's like, I, I have a hard time with that, you know, especially when it comes to people's health and like their their nutrition. And it's like, man, I really truly believe that everybody deserves to have access to whole healthy food. I think that's just a fucking atrocity that that you have to be wealthy to mm-hmm. afford food, yeah. And you don't necessarily have to be because you can grow your own, which is the best bet. But like fucking who can do that like mm-hmm. you live in the city like go yeah grow your own garden neat story dude like mm-hmm. yeah, you can not,
0: grow some tomatoes and some yeah you're not you're gonna have a salsa
1: yeah
2: you're not gonna feed your family you know so um but nobody's talking about the food system and, and it's just uh, there's these it, it's just they're lying to you so, so what's wound
0: up, up in everything or what
2: i wouldn't say everything but uh a lot a lot man like i, I like i say i'm no scientist the shit i've read up on it um it's, it's bad. It's yeah, they, bad.
1: So the, the podcast host he was talking about basically his way of thinking, which, you know, take everything with a grain of salt. You know, I, I take everything with a grain of salt. You're here cause everybody, everybody's got an agenda, right? I'll watch a vegan documentary and be like, I need to be fucking vegan tomorrow. And then yeah. I'll watch a meat eating documentary and I'm just yep. saying, and, and, and I eat meat, but I'm just saying, I take it all with a grain of salt. So take this with a grain of salt. But um, you know, he was essentially saying, if we stay on the rate that we're at, uh, with the amount of pesticides that we're ingesting as a society the 1 in 3 humans are going to have autism and then the cancer rates are going to be through the roof and we're essentially in 60 years not going to be a functioning society yeah. because I've, of our I've because of our seen food the cancer go through yeah. the roof when well, I was
0: a kid I never heard yeah. about people well, getting well and cancer.
2: fertility man Different. fertility is yep, gnarly exactly. like the 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 sperm counts are so down in you know in our generation in the next generation compared to like the younger, the, the older generations, like fertility is just like scary, man. It's like, we're on, we're on a path to like extinct ourselves. And there's a lot of things you hear about, but like, I mean, there could be a red button push tomorrow. We're all gone, but like,
0: there's a lot of different directions that we're headed that way.
2: But you know, I, you know, and that's all dark shit, but I'm very optimistic because people are smart. And I think people just need to like, man, just be a critical thinker. Think for yourself. Don't listen to what everybody else is saying. Cause I've learned that like, that's probably your best bet. Listen to your intuition. Cause if I was like, for instance, if I'm just in the mountains, listening to what everybody says, if I had to listen to everybody, what with, with the project the, the direction of my snowboard career, I wouldn't be a pro snowboarder, but I just like, didn't I just like, nah, I'm just going to do this. This was, this is what feels right to me. This is what my int- intuition tells me. And wow, lo and behold, fuck man, all those people that said I was done in two years. I'm still here, dude. Like, my career is great. Um, I do exactly what I want. Um, I don't answer to people. I don't listen to the critics. You know, when people are, are so, so critical of, of you, I'm like, well, just, like, worry about yourself. Like, you know, like, usually that's a projection of their own insecurities and yeah. the things that they're not happy with themselves about. And uh, I think once I really just, just brushed all that shit aside and was like, man, this is what I'm doing it all kind of comes together, you know, and I think more people need to ask questions and just fucking listen to your intuition because Mm -hmm. people lie. (laughs) It's human nature. Track the money, man. If you want to know what's going on, just like follow the money. And that's usually like the best way to find out if somebody's being authentic or in, in, in anything, follow the money. Mm -hmm. Who's getting paid. Okay, cool. (laughs) You know,
1: it's especially and I I love what you said earlier about uh, forming your own opinion, right? Because that's something that is is tricky. There's a lot of information about a lot of things, be it diet, politics, doesn't fucking matter. All these things. There's a it's a a tricky space to navigate. Right. And, And I think that we oftentimes what we do is like. You know, if, if, if you're in your environment, you end up just absorbing what your friends say, right? So you, you just become exactly, oh, it's not really your own opinion. Like for me, I'll ta- I've used this example before, but I listen to a lot of sports podcasts or a lot of sports. Uh, a lot a, of moto podcasts. A lot of huh, moto Chris? podcasts, but I'll, I'll, take, I'll take their opinion or take on something and I'll take that back and I'll bring it and I'll regurgitate it to my friends as if it's my own opinion. That's not my own opinion. That's that's not that's yeah. literally that like so we the, we think we're so we we've come up with our own opinions but really it's just all this bullshit that's put and so you have to take time dwell you know be be with yourself to actually you know have some introspection on things and and see things you know the way they are whatever I mean a
2: hundred percent and I think you know uh, w- where I really find that is um, just in these in being being by myself and in, in nature
1: mm-hmm.
2: out doing something whether. I'm out behind a bunch of cows all day chasing I mean you you have a lot of time to think, and I love thinking, and I think that 's where I find myself most creative is when i 'm bored and I look at like creativity is dwindling and mm-hmm. and and I really account that a lot to um there's no boredom. Like people can't be bored. Like yep. you have all these fucking devices and all this stuff. I can't be bored. I mean, dude, I remember sitting there so bored waiting for cows, sit with my dad. He'd be like, uh, right, sit here and wait for these cows to mother. I'd be like five hours just sitting there. There's a rock. There's a stick. Uh, get creative, bud. And you just figure it out, you know, or like sitting at a meal with adults and just shutting up and just listening. And you'd be so bored, but that just like nurtured that imagination and that creativity. But now it's like stimulation, stimulation. Our brains cannot handle that. Like when I'm on Instagram, like, dude, my brain's overloaded. I haven't looked at my phone for like seven days and I come back and I'm clear and I can think And uh, I think finding clarity within all of that. And then I look at my phone and I'm like, how's that make me feel? I was like, that makes me feel like shit. Mm-hmm. Like, why do I care about what everybody else is doing? I don't really care. Cause I had I like trying to like, better myself and if i'm worried about what everybody else is doing it's like how are you going to do anything for yourself and it's just like this 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 you know like oh i'm missing out here i'm missing out here i was like first off all that's bullshit nobody's putting their their, nobody's best fuck it's like a it's like a video part dude oh you didn't wreck all your fuck mask yeah neat story dude like i'm not travis rice he doesn't wreck but uh you know, uh
1: well going back to what you just said though, <laughs> I, I love I love that because it's like take a gauge on um what how shit makes you feel. I've been getting better at that as I've gotten older too, where you're like, I have a cabin, right? And we've talked about it on the show a little bit, but I go there, there's no cell phone service, go there for a weekend. And as I'm as I'm like driving back, I'm like everything is just like my my whole like tempo is like just it's just calmer. And then you get in the city, the fucking phone, the mo- I call it the mobile stress device. Yes. The mobile stress device is buzzing. Everybody's hitting you up and you're like, but you, you have to kind of be conscious of like the, 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 the mobile stress device and then being with the land. And I'm curious about being with the land. Now this might be a little fucking crunchy, a little bit woo woo, but like, what's your take on kind of like being in sync with the land, with the earth, with the frequencies and all that stuff. Do you, do you, what's oh, your take on all oh, that stuff? I mean, dude, if,
2: if. I've never met a cowboy that didn't believe in God, you know, because the great creator or whatever you might call him, because he's out there. He sees the beauty within this land. He spends all of his time out there and you feel that vibration, you know, and I think it it makes you humble because you you are not a God. You are a mere mortal on this planet and there you should be able like mortals should not be able to tell other humans what to do. Like we answer to one person in my, in my opinion, just from what I've experienced. And I think why things are so messy is because you aren't taking your shoes off and, and putting your feet in the dirt. You aren't grounding yourself. You're standing on cement. You're in these metal boxes. We're doing all this shit with these fucking Wi-Fi signals and all this shit. It's just like totally, I think it's totally just disturbing what we're supposed to be because when I'm out hunting with my bow, I, like I did in September, man, I chased elk for, for 20 plus days in the high country by myself, just like camping under the stars, sitting with my thoughts, waiting, hunting. And I mean, when you connect at that like primitive level, that primal level, it's like, I, I can't explain it, but you just feel so intact and everything seems to be right. Everything seems to be okay. You're not stressed. You're just you're just in full sync with everything that that's the most natural thing on this planet, you know? And I think we've lost that. Not everybody. Cause you talk to people that, you know, understand that, but there's people that don't even, they've never done that, you know, and, and it's not for everybody, but you can go outside and you can look at the sky. You can take your shoes off and you can put your feet in the dirt and you can ground yourself. And I think that's most important. It, for me and recharging and, and just like having the perspective that I have and being able to just like navigate all this anxiety of this world, you know? And I think, I don't know, more people need to just go outside, look up. And I mean, fuck you go in the city and like last night, I'm like, where are the stars? I've been under the stars for like a week looking up. I go out, take a piss at night. I'm like, Oh man, look at all the stars, you come to the city. I was like, Oh, the stars are gone. Cause we're scared of the darkness. Mm-hmm. What are you scared of the dark? What are you scared for, man? Like, mm-hmm. fuck, knock your streetlights out. I hate streetlights. Yeah. I was like, why do we have lights on everything? And I, I get it maybe for security, but I don't know, man. Uh, Dude, a couple, a couple things as, <laughs> as you're <laughs> talking Some dangerous
1: cities that need dangerous need cities for sure. <laughs> yeah. That's why I don't live in the city, man. I was like, ah, it's nice. You don't have to worry about shit getting stolen out of your truck. Uh, like we do in the city and all I that. I know, but the, there's a couple different things that I wanted to kind of add to what you're saying there. Cause it's, you know, it's interesting as humans, I'm gonna get fucking deep, but who gives a shit? Humans, we think that we're like we're in big important people, and I have my desk and my computer, and I'm doing my big important job and typing my big important emails and doing all my important human things that are like I need to do to be a part of society. But like, we're fucking animals. We're animals, and like that's that's what the difference is when you go out and you spend a lot of time out in nature. You kind of realize I'm like you're with the cattle or whatever. You know, I've I've had some experiences that are similar where I'm like. I'm a fucking animal. And it's in another interesting parallel I was also thinking about. I heard a statistic that the rate at which people walk across the street on a crosswalk directly correlates to the population. So the bigger, the more dense, the population of the city, the faster the people walk across the crosswalk. It's been hmm. recorded, which means the faster pace of life, which means like the, in my opinion, the more stress, the more, the more, and then it's, there's a reason why you go to a small cowboy town and, and, like, for me, Huntsville, this town in Utah, uh, kind of where where I spend some time, as soon as you get in there, everything slows down. And it's, like, there there is that pace that... And you don't even realize how fucking stressed out you are when you're living in a city till you actually get and spend some time in a, in a slower pace. Yeah. Well, okay. the cities
2: just can continue to keep you distracted from, yeah. like, actually, you know, your stress or whatever. You're like, oh, I can go to the bar and go hang out with people. I can go eat food. I can do this. But, like, intensely... <laughs> There's like a place you might be able to go out and eat, but you're kind of self-sufficient. So it's just like, what are you in a hurry to do? Mm-hmm. Like, I'm going to, I mean, even when I'm working hard, like there's always a hurry to get the job done, but I'm like, when I'm done, like, well, there's nothing I'd rather be doing than this. So it's like, okay, let's just sit with it. You know, I, I just refuse I want to live, man. I I refuse to exist. I'm not going to fucking exist in this world. I'm going to like live. And, and that just goes back to like so many things going on. I'm not going to live in fear. Like I'm not, I won't like I've lived in dangerous life my whole life. And I'm not going to just like be scared of everything, come to the city and be scared. I'm like, I'm aware there's dangers. I'm prepared for dangers, but I, that doesn't like, you know, it doesn't direct my life, you know? So I'm just like, ah, whatever. We're all going to die. You know, why are we so afraid of dying? You know, that, that was always like the interesting thing to me is like, if you believe in something after death, there's no, there's no fear of dying, you know? And it's like, for me to exist is worse than dying. Just to be here as a freaking unimportant person that brings nothing to society. It's like, well, what the fuck are you doing here, dude? Like, it's, it's just, I don't know, man, live, go out and live, do dangerous things. It's fine. Like, Mm
1: -hmm. (laughs) Well, it seems like you found your two, you know, <laughs> these two passions of yours with the ranching and snowboarding. And they're, it's so awesome because it's like you're such a rare fucking combination of human that's just carved your own lane. And I think we should maybe kind of pivot into your snowboard career a little yeah. bit because, uh, you know, where, where you grew up there's no fucking snowboarding and stuff right like it, it not, oh, well. it's not so uh, yeah how did you how did a ranch ranch kid get into snowboarding is what i'm curious well about. we'll
2: start at the very beginning because we have so much time um well i mean the my my love for snow has always kind of been there and i remember as a, like a really little kid my dad would pull us behind the truck when you go check cows on sleds and for whatever reason man like i was I just could not get enough of that. And he wouldn't do it enough for me. I just always wanted to be pulled behind. And there would be like two inches of snow. And you'd be hitting sagebrush and rocks and shit. But it was like everything for me. And then when the fields would freeze, the cow are super hard. And he'd pull us around on his his horse. He'd just dally off with his ho- his rope and pull through the field or whatever. And then Metal Ark, it's a small resort about 15 miles above Tensley. And it was just a pommel lift. Probably 600 feet it was pretty steep 600 feet and uh on fridays the school bus would take the kids up it was like three bucks for a lift ticket and a, like skis so you could afford it as a poor ranch kid like we grew up with no money so like there wasn't access to any of this so the school bus would take us up on half day of friday first off that was awesome because i i hated school and i got to miss a half day of school and then so we started skiing and so i did like two years of skiing but there was this og dude his name's charlie hicks and I'll never forget, like, the first time I saw this guy on a snowboard ripping down the mountain. And he had this big husky dog following him. And I was just like, that guy is having way more fun than everyone else. I'm like, what is he doing? And so I immediately went home. I was like, Mom, I, and I, you know, I was like, that's a snowboard. I, was, I, I want a snowboard. You know, that's what I want to do. And my mom was like, no, no, you're not snowboarding. You're skiing. So I think I put in another winner. I think I skied total of, like, maybe two or three winners. And that's when I was like eight years old, she finally got us these uh, mogul monster, black snow mogul monsters with no edges. And these things were just dangerous. Like, (laughs) you couldn't control them, but I remember going up. Yeah, I had a black snow. They weren't real snowboards. No, it was like a plastic, I don't even know what it was. It was dangerous, but you could could strap your feet to it and you could slide every direction. And uh, we went up behind the ranch just on a snowy hill and... I'll never forget dropping in and just ripping that and well, not ripping it, just face planning and trying to slide down this hill. Well, then my sister had actually, she took it up to the resort. She was brave enough. She went up to the resort. And I mean, she probably struggled on that thing. I remember we were skiing. I'd watch her and I was like, oh, maybe I should bring my board, but just wasn't really conducive. And then the next year, my mom finally got us and we begged and she got my brother, my sister and I all Burton Ayers, like Burton airs with the The, the flex, the bone out strap, the three straps. Mm -hmm. And then Charlie was straight up. He, you know, we are the first snowboarders, the mountain. There's a couple other kids and, uh, he took us under his wing and just taught us how to snowboard. I'll never forget him taking me up by himself and just like showing me how to turn. And, uh, that was it for me. And so Charlie Hicks, uh, let's
1: give him a little air horn.
2: Charlie Hicks, man. OG Doesn't even know, like, doesn't even know any pro snowboarders. Doesn't know the scene. Nobody knows who Charlie is but he's still ripping. I still go ride with him intensely at metal arc every, That's like bad. he's the man he's probably, you know, he's in his sixties, super stoker. Um, but he was my inspiration for getting into snowboarding at a young age, but you had to learn how to one foot up the mountain on a poma lift before you could even strap in. So it's like, and the, in the high schoolers like running the poma lift, which straight up, you know, had the spring in, in the poma lift. So it mm-hmm. like stretch out and they just like, stand on the tail of your board and then it would just stretch out and just launch you in front of everybody and just you just eat shit until you learn how to kind of like one foot stomp it wow and that was you know that was like my introduction to to snowboarding and then i was just in love with it man it just for whatever reason sliding down sliding down the mountain uh it just changed my life forever and that was all i wanted to do You know, but it was, it was this path of love, hate because my mother, they were divorced. So my mother lived in, in Casper, Wyoming, which there was actually kind of a little snowboard scene. And so I bounced, man, since I was in third grade, I just started bouncing back and forth between there and 10 sleep every year. I'd move like two or three times. I I just like realized that this year I was like, fuck, I've been moving like literally every year since I was in second grade tired. Um, but I learned to skate and I had that crew there, but then I come back to tent sleep and I snowboard a little bit, but like my, like the last three years in high school, the resort closed. So, and I was, I got into football because it was kind of my, my outlet. And I, and I like, and I'm kind of a physical person. I, I really enjoyed the like contact. And, um, so I was playing football and I just totally lost snowboarding. And, and I remember going to hood in like seventh, eighth grade and like meeting Lance Pittman and Rob Kingwell those guys from Jackson, I, i didn't even know jackson existed like i all i knew was like hogan and casper and uh like metal arc intensely so i had no scene no like really uh perception of what was going on in the snowboarding world but i remember i went and i, I was good at football um i actually got a scholarship to play college football in black hill state it Wasn't you big, play, what position uh middle linebacker and fullback so oh, like, like i'm like I was like, you know, I'm not a tall guy, but when I was in high school, I I think when I was a senior, I was like 205 pounds. I'm like 160 now. Holy
1: yeah, it is a beefcake.
2: Yeah, a high school I, cake. Was a I was a plug. I was a plug. 205 pounds. Yeah, Damn. yeah. I lifted a lot of weights oh, and okay. just yeah, I was just like, i You were huge. Fucking, oh, I had no neck, but and I loved football. I loved the game, you know. And I wasn't really a team sport guy. I hated like team sport. I was like, ah, because I was still skater and snowboarder at heart. But I had no. Other outlet for like my energy because I couldn't skate intensely. There was no there was no cement, and I couldn't snowboard because the resort was closed. So I just had to find this other outlet, and I found football. I chased that, and then I'll never forget, man. Like I got I got a scholarship. I want I showed up at 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 fucking fall football camp, and I got run over by a guy who was like two hundred fifty pounds, and I'm just like, what am I? doing i was like what am i think i'm doing here i was like this is bullshit this is not me so i kind of milked it and just like wasn't my heart was just not in it but uh there was it was in south dakota uh, black hill state and it was it was by this little resort called terry peak and i had all this old snowboard gear like these airwalk uh half pipe remember the airwalk low top i won them at mount hood and had like a snowboard contest And i had this old joyride and the fucking ride baseless bindings and I uh, had this old setup and, and I was like, man, I want to go snowboarding up at Terry peak. So I got a, I got a season pass. It was like 200 bucks. And I remember going up there in like the n- end of November and there was this, and I was like, what have I been doing? Like, I, I like had this whole epiphany. I was like, dude, I got to like switch my life. I got to go, ch- I got to go snowboarding, man. Like, what am I doing? And so I just fully flipped it, went home, saw my dad and uh, I was like, man. I'm I'm gonna drop out of college, and they they were all surprised that I went to college. Anyways, they're like, I hated school, man. Anytime I got a chance to ditch school, I was ditching school. So I spent a year just on the ranch trying to earn enough money to take a winter off, and I just cowboyed with my dad. My brother was in college, so it was just dad and I, and we we went hard, man. And uh, he had a bunch of cows spread all over the place. So I just I was 19, cowboyed for a year with the idea of just like leaving that winter and just snowboarding and seeing, and that was where the next winter, my friend had Russell had moved to Bozeman. And I, I thought about like going to Whistler cause I was like looking at magazines and that was when Travis was like blowing up, you know, like maybe this was uh no, maybe it was a little before that, but I'd seen these magazines like, Oh, Whistler seems sick. And then I like went up to Canada. I was like, dude, good luck. Like I'm so far from home. I was like, I don't know if I can do this, but then Bozeman was accessible. And then my dad's roots in, in, in Bridger Valley in like Bridger Canyon. And my grandpa homesteaded there. So I was like, that kind of drew me there and so i spent that winter just shredding and dude i showed up i had like a 1993 joyride my old setup and i was just like trying to snowboard. where i was such a kook a you know i had flower all on the. It. <laughs> it had the guy in the straight jacket on okay. the bottom sick like i don't he had like the straight jacket with the crazy people in the corner i still have the board it's sick uh green top sheet and uh i was like i'm a kook whoa this is okay. So I, I, I went to world boards and bought myself some boots. But so I was able to afford boots first. Cause my boots were just jacked. Then I got some, then I think I got a board Then I got some Drake bindings. I bought an option sans Salon, which I was like, Holy cow, man, the boards have changed so much. And then, so I was ripping and I was just like, I was kind of on the periphery, you know, I was like watching all these like, these riders up there, like the world board guides, like this dude, uh, Josh Fisher. Do you guys know Josh yeah, Fisher? Yeah, let's give him
1: an air horn. Josh Fisher. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And awesome. he was like,
2: I, I was like, he was so nice, you know? And, and I remember here watching him rip and I can't remember all the other guys, but, uh, he, he stood out cause he was really nice to me. And, um, I, I that was where it all just kind of started happening. And, and I was working in the summer. I I'd go back to 10 sleep and just work on the ranch or maybe no shit. I went to culinary school. One of those summers. I was like, I'm going to be a chef. Went to culinary school. I was like, fuck, man, this is a lot of work. I gotta work 18 hour days and I'm just covered in shit. And yeah. So I was over that. But uh, I spent two winters there. And then my friends, Dan, Dan Forsberg and this kid Justin Agna came up and they were they'd been in, in Jackson building out the the snowboard park with JP Martin and Ranyan Dear. Like they were building like the snowboard park and they had this crazy park. And they're like, Man, come down like next winter, we'll give you a job. I was like, Okay. So when I left Bozeman, I ended up that spring just spending like a week in Jackson, never even been to Jackson. Mm-hmm. And I was like, holy shit, this, this mountain's sick. Like what have I been doing? I don't have to leave Wyoming. I can shred. And so like, that was where I really, um, I, that was the big, big chance for me. I, I moved to Jackson that next fall and, and worked on the park and pipe crew, you know? And that was like, I got a ride every day we worked. And I was like, this is way easier than like working at McKenzie river pizza, doing dough and like getting all gross. And, this is this is where I knew the minute I got to Jackson, I was like, that this is this is home for me. You know, i d I'm in Wyoming, you know, and I mean that's like the short evolution of like getting to Jackson. And um I mean, I think Dan and, and Justin and all those guys who are giving me a chance, you know.
1: let give him an air horn. I'm ah. gonna pick
0: for his Patreon question for you. Yeah. You mentioned uh how do you pronounce it? Hogadon?
1: Hogadon.
0: Hogadon. This is from Xander. How did the hand-dug uh, pipe at Hogadon shape your snowboarding career?
2: I forgot all about the Hogadon. Xander. I bet that's Alex Crump. Um, I mean, I remember, yeah, we hand-dug a dirty half-pipe at Hogadon. Like, literally, like, they plowed all the snow over off the parking lot, and it was just dirt, and, and and we'd go up there after school and, and, like, shave the pipe, and it had two hits. It was, like, super shitty. Enough speed for, like, one good hit you made your own half pipe yeah sick yeah hand dug And uh in the first half pipe i ever rode i was on casper mountain racers in seventh grade when i was in casper it was a it was a ski team but they allowed snowboarders but they'd make us race too there wasn't slope style or, or half pipe yet and they'd make me race i freaking hated racing i was just like i had a joy ride with the cat and the hat on the bottom big stance and denim pants this is like 93
0: big jean fantasies uh, dude, time.
2: just killing it and big, uh
0: big pants big <laughs> pants
2: but i remember like all the kids on the team had like they'd had their their like freestyle board and then they had their like their like hammer or hot board with the 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 racer boots and i was like pff, and i beat them you know i'm like those like,
0: big pants never come back huh
2: <laughs> uh, they're kind of cool <laughs> yeah, i like them <laughs> i like, like them oh the yeah huge ones oh the, yeah the, the the purple blind jeans I mean, those, oh, are yeah, those, those are were hot those are hot tight
1: and the fucked, where yeah, was fucked. Fucked. That, fucked, That dates you guys. The you would the, wear that. Kid? I think I think those are back if in they, now.
0: Right now, they're back in.
1: I heard they're back in. Better than some hella skinnies. It's funny because I will How see about kids right in between. Yeah, you see kids. I'm like, shit, dude,
2: you look like you're from '93. Like that—that was cool when I was in middle school. We we had
1: Richards on though; he was saying the same thing. He's like, "I lived through that phase. Don't don't do that again. You don't need to go back. (laughs) It's not that
2: (laughs) functional." Yeah, true. It's like,
1: why did we have big jeans and just little wheels? He got stuck on every freaking piece of gravel and just airmail.
0: Smallest skate skate wheels possible. Shit, dude.
1: (laughs) So I'm I'm curious about with your snowboard career because you're known as a backcountry snowboarder. All that that stuff. And did you grow up uh, in your formative years like riding a ton of park when you worked at the Jackson Park?
2: Group? Yeah, I mean, that's where all I honed all my like tricks because Jackson actually had like a gnarly park. We had like freaking 100 foot channel gap when I was there. Holy shit. It was scary. In but their
0: normal public park?
2: Yes. We had like this gnarly. Like, You're a hundred footer. <laughs> Let's go. The, 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 um, we had a 50 a foot table and a 70 foot, but there was a channel and you could gap it I never did it. I watched people could just get broke doing it, though.
1: T. Ricky, come through and bust that thing. broke off.
2: I don't know if T. Ricky ever did it. I watched some super loosey gooseys hit it, though. (laughs) But the thing with working the park crew, the worst thing was just like we had to uh, sit there with a radio. So we were like safety. You know, we'd go, we test the jumps first thing in the morning, like before the lifts even would go. Dan and I would rip the shitty little Indy 500 up to the top of the park. It'd be icy and we have to straight air the kickers before we could like sign it off so that like kind of like honed me like don't blow this right now and i never blew it <laughs> but i remember following dan like hot into the 70 foot table like at seven thirty in the morning it's just icy and just straight airing it you know and be like okay yeah <laughs> and just super high like i found weed at my young age and i was just like super stoned <laughs> which is like probably not the best thing I was like okay we were loose man i was 22 21 but uh i wonder if they're spraying that uh roundup stuff on the reefer cross i bet they're spraying it on the Oof, reefers that's a problem yeah that's a problem that's a problem anyways sorry for that. <laughs> <laughs> oh man it was crazy times dude jackson was different that was totally different it was pretty it was still pretty cowboy um that's like early 2000s that was when travis just like I remember I moved there like the year after Travis had like the cover of Super Park and just went like, I was like, holy shit, you can be a pro snowboarder from, from Wyoming? Mm-hmm. I'm interested.
1: <laughs> You're all out, man. Well, I'm interested. <laughs> I, I, I want to fast forward a little bit too, because if you look at your career, we have, you have so many footnotes and things to talk about. And if you look at the average career, you didn't You didn't get your first paycheck till you're 26, 27, right?
2: Yeah, I think my first – well, my first snowboard sponsor was Illuminati, and it was, like, oh, Lance yeah. Pittman. I remember, nice.
1: that, I remember their ads and everything, yeah. Yeah,
2: I was like, we got uh, – yeah. <laughs> they were great snowboards. Uh, and that was my first – like, Lance let me live in his house for free one winter. I was like, damn, this is cool. I wasn't getting any money. But then uh, my first real break was uh, – this guy, Eric Pearson, he was the rep for atomic snowboards and atomic was actually like sick. Alex Andrews was actually yes. like ah, 16 nice. on it. And so Pearson signed me. It was the year 2007 and I got a real contract. These are like for $12,000. I was like a thousand bucks a month to snowboard. I was like interested. Yeah. And that was the winner that the, the whole natural selection thing went down. And so I'd been filming with Travis a little bit Um, I mean, there's so many stories, like how I got hooked up with those guys in the community project. It was just, it was a slow evolution of being in Jackson and, you know, really putting in my time and riding and riding and riding and just riding that mountain just honed me to like a different level of rider. Cause you know, when we were working the park, we, we just take turns, like whoever, there were two people working. So one guy would just do a Gandhi lap. Next guy would do Gandhi lap. So we're just lapping our track all day, hitting the ripping the park down you know, so that just got me just super stoked and super dialed. And then, uh, 2005, I'll never forget the first session ever, uh, that I knew that I might be able to like, do this was in Dick's ditch on the Terrier. And it was like an insane powder day. We built it and we're hiking it. And, uh, Kurt Morgan showed up and he was filming it. And Pat Moore was 17. Pat shows up. And that was the first time I met Pat. He was like 17, like just this little kid, he never rode powder. And so it was like Pat, uh, John Makins, Lance, me and Pat, or I said Pat, were hitting this kicker and Adam Dow. And we just had this session and got some shots for the community project. And I'd bought a sled that year because I knew to like do it, I needed a sled. So I bought this like old Yamaha uh, Mountain Max. And that's, I went out with those guys I, I was invited. Kurt was like, hey man, you should like come out with us. So I went out and I got a few shots in the movie, like two shots. And I was like, Whoa. I mean, I I I re- it was a monumental moment for me because Travis invited me out on this. He's like, You want to build this huge jump? It was called the community gap. Yeah. And we went out and built this jump. We spent two days building this massive witch. And I'm just like, What am I? D-? I didn't sleep for like two days. I was like, I'm so scared of this jump. But I'm like, what am I gonna do? And so Travis, Charlie Marachi and me went out and hit this thing. And I landed this super sketchy frontside seven on it. And that was a shot in the movie. But I'll never forget driving home from that trailhead that day. I was like, I think I did it. I think it's going to happen. I think like this whole snowboarding thing is going to work. And that was monumental. And then there was another time where it was like Clancy, JJ Thomas, Zach Leach, uh, Sammy Lipke, they were sessioning this other jump across the valley up this other crazy trailhead we were at. And me and the Illuminati crew were hitting this super
1: sketchy step down. Mosquito? sorry, No,
2: no, it was Cliff Creek. Okay. And the super sketchy step down. It was just like this straight uphill toe into a a flat takeoff to like this just never ending landing on a south facing slope. But it was like kind of soft because it was sunny. And everybody was just getting worked on this thing all day. And those dudes finished up finished up their jump and they were standing on the lip of this jump. And I knew there was like one more, there was like one more hit in me and the the sun was like fading on this landing. And I remember Willie was towing me and I just, I just told Willie, I was like, just, just pin it, dude. Just like, give me all you got. He just, and, uh, I did like this, the biggest cab five I've ever done and like stomped it. And I was just like, I knew that was like, Okay. I, I think I'm on the level. I think we're going to do this, and that was, in my mind, like two of the moments in the community project that really defined my direction. You know, mm-hmm. so and then we went out and they did the like premiere at Oakley, and and I I got to experience the whole like premiere thing and drank way too many Red Bull vodkas.
1: Got a taste. You got a taste. I got to a, a taste, dude, and I was <laughs>
2: like, okay, we're doing this. I guess this is snowboarding, but I it was funny because.
0: Is that the premiere at the Oakley office? Yeah. I was there. Yeah, you were probably... I mean, everybody (laughs) was there.
2: I was like the biggest thing. It was the biggest thing in snowboarding at that time. It's a
1: great video. I need to revisit that one. I haven't watched it in a while. It's so good.
2: But it was like... That was... To be a part of that, like, just, you know, I was so grateful to even have two shots in that movie, you know, and uh, that just changed the whole game for me. I was like, okay. These guys, like, Travis believed in me, and Kurt believed in me, and I I didn't want to let him down, you know? I was just some, like, freaking rancher kid that had no business being in this world you know i was like yeah everybody you know the style of snowboarding was just so like uh back then you remember it was like you know like the guys were like jp and jeremy and like this like Mm -hmm. they had this different style and i remember watching technical difficulties being like dude i want to like that's what i want to be like but in all that like i kind of lost of actually who i was and and until i really figured out like oh this is who i am like you just gotta really you can't hide what you are and you just have to just like be your authentic self. That's where like my career really took off, you know, and it took, it took a lot of years to like figure out that it's okay to be a, a rancher from nowhere, Wyoming and be in this, this world, you know, cause I wasn't necessarily necessarily accepted as like the cool guy. You know, I was temporary. Like, what's this guy doing here? Like, Fuck, get out of here. But, uh, you know, I just, I, I have a hard time being told no
0: the second year yourself you're all of a sudden this kind of unique
2: yeah different snowboarder yeah that
1: makes you special
2: because i don't have the tricks as those guys had so i had to be different man yeah. <laughs> so I,
1: I think it's awesome i personally love it too because if you if yeah. you really break it down if we're gonna get into this you know you're you're now you're we're jumping ahead but who gives a shit you're you're 41 years old you've had you've had more more sponsors than you ever have and you're making probably more i'm assuming more money than you probably were yeah. in your 20s and 30s right and so yeah. and, and i think it's amazing because there's kids out there that are they can fucking do a back 10 every try and they can't get a goddamn sponsor but they are like talking to a fucking wall yeah. and so um i think that you know it, people are interested in in your story and, yeah. and and that's like people latch on they need to know who to cheer for they need to, know who, to who to root for and i think that it, it's it's amazing how snowboarding has you know, room for, for people like yourself in it. And also the kid that's 12 doing the fucking 1900, you know what I mean? Like it's, we, we, we need it all that we need a balanced ecosystem, but, um, I'm sure there's, there's salty people in that. And and one more thing I do want to add too, is, is from, from a standpoint of like marketing and stuff like that as well, if I'm going to be going to like nerd fucking marketing guy, but it's like, all right, if you if you ride for yeti and you ride for traeger and you ride for all these brands that are the non-endemics then then basically like a, an, an 18 year old kid is not gonna go buy a yeti cooler for fucking a bunch you know that's expensive or a nice traeger drill the, but they are going to buy like on a, a, a 40 50 year old adult that has a family and has a, like a nice job at this point in his life yeah. he's gonna buy the yeti he's gonna buy the traeger grill he wants the Carter smoked meat so you need somebody to speak to that audience and it's like you know, there's some, I don't know. I, I've just kind of wanted to highlight that quickly yeah. before, uh, I know we're getting off the rails here, but I think it's no, fascinating.
2: I mean, totally. It's like, uh, I, I, I understood where, where my spot was mm-hmm. and I'm not the trick guy. Like I like to, you know, I, I like to go ride big lines and do some front threes and just make it look smooth. And, and, you know, I I'm at a good place in my career. Cause I, I get to kind of like pick and choose how I want to ride with. And I think that's that's probably most valuable for me. I'm not told who I have to go out and ride with or, or whatever. I choose everyone that I get a step foot in the mountains with. And I think, you know, it's so important because I mean, the mountains are dangerous and I, I'm really, I'm really a true believer. You're only, you're only as strong as your weakest link. And and that doesn't even have to have to do with skill. It's like your attitude. Yeah. Your attitude is everything, man. Like how you approach things, how you're going to push through adversity, how you're going to come out the other end. And to just like lay down and quit and be a, you know, like victim. Ah, poor me. I'm like fucking like, if I did that, man, I, I would have never gotten to where I am. Like there's been so many times where I had excuses, you know, like excuses are just like, you know, you're just denying yourself success, you know? And I think, You know what I really found like the hardest things I've ever done is what molded me to be what I am, and I think you don't remember those like really glory moments and maybe a few of them, but like you remember all the shitty days. Like that's always what you remember. You're like, fuck, I suffered that day.
1: Uh, That is actually a perfect segue for a guest question from none other than friend of the show, Sean Black.
0: (laughs) Hey, what's up, Mark? This is your friend Sean Black, and I have a three-part question for you. First off. What was the hardest day of your life? What is the best piece of advice you've ever gotten? And can you please explain the process
1: of grafting a calf? Thank you. (laughs) Well, they're done.
2: Wow. Well, we all know Sean likes to talk. So of course he asks me a three part question. I've, I love Sean black, by the way, he's helped me so much. Um, Sean black. Hardest day of my life, uh, man. You know, not to be a downer. I think one of the hardest days of my life was burying burying my cousin in Arlington uh, Cemetery. Who he was a he was a Navy SEAL. His name was Mark Carter. Mark Thomas Carter. We were both named after our grandfather. Um, we were like twins, man. And he passed away in two thousand and seven, December twelfth. And so, like flying out there and burying him was probably, I'd say. <laughs> that was close to the toughest day I've ever had in my life. And he, he really inspired me to like, that was the year the, the natural selection went down. And like, I was like, man, that dude sacrificed everything. And so I, I just really made an effort to be better and just like put my all into everything from, from that moment on. And, and that was where my, my, my snowboard career really took off was after, after losing him. So hardest day in my life. Uh, that, that was definitely one of the hardest days of my life. And then, uh, yeah, shout out to Mark Thomas Carter, man. He was, he, uh, he was the 0.5% of men out here. You know, he, I, you know, I got, I got so much respect for all the veterans and everybody that's, you know, fought, fought for our country and the men and women. And, uh, that's, there, there's a reason we get to sit here and do a podcast and not have to worry about, you know, all the the, the crazy shit happening in the world. So, um yeah, fuck. That was, hard. that was heavy. But, um and then the next part would be, what's the best advice I've ever gotten? And I think the best advice I I had ever gotten, and it goes back to when I dropped out of college, I was riding with my old man. You know, he's like stoic and he has so many things to say. You know, he just saves these one-liners. I'm like, where did you get that? Like, damn, dad, I I'll remember that. But I was riding and, a 19 year old kid. who's just like super insecure about like what your life is doing. And I was like, dad, you know, I'm, I'm like done with college. Like I'm going to drop out. And he just goes, you know, Mark, as long as you work hard, you'll always be okay. And I was just like, damn. All right. Like work hard. And that just gave me so much comfort into just like taking this crazy leap into snowboarding. I was like, Worst thing that can happen, man, is I'll go pound some nails or work on the ranch. Like I always like had that as a security blanket and I knew I could work hard because I was, I grew up with a gnarly work ethic, but I knew that like, for whatever reason that, that, that like stuck in my head and I was like, well, fuck it. Oh, well, I might as well be working hard at something I want to do rather than something I have to do. So that's, that was the the best advice that I've ever gotten. And then, uh, what did you say? Grafting a calf. Oh, all right. We'll get into grafting calves. So, like, <laughs> in the spring, when the cows are having their calves. So, the thing about a cow is she she, she recognizes her calf through smell. Like, and maybe a little bit of the beller. But uh, smell is everything. So, like, you'll see a cow when they're trying to mother up. She'll smell calves. And then she smells hers. And then they're, like, they're like, joined. Beller? Beller. Uh Okay. Uh, you know, like, you and you can do that, too. You can call cows in. Like, if they're looking for their calf, you can call. Or, like, if you're, like... Yeah. It, it, you sounded the, just like yeah. <laughs> I've done it a couple I times. I thought there was one in the, in the room. <laughs> so so like uh it's a little morbid, but it's it's just truth. And you'll lose calves. Little babies die, they freeze, or whatever happens to them, they're born dead. So you you'll have bum calves too, because maybe you'll have a twin or like the mom will die. So you have these bum and a bum calf is a, a calf without a mom, like an orphan calf. We call them bums. And So the best thing to do is you want to put a cow, like find a bum calf and you want to find a cow that lost a calf and put her on it. So she has a baby. You're basically getting kind of trick her, So you get her calf and you, the dead calf and you skin it, you get the hide off of it and then you put it on the live calf, right? Grafting. And you put it on the live calf, the skin, and then she'll smell that. She's like, Oh, that's my baby. And then, so he'll wear it for a few days and you cut it off and she's like, Good to go. So that's grafting a calf. And that yeah. works. Wow. It works. Works. I grew
0: up in Vermont along around a lot of cows. Um, Is cow tipping a real thing? No. Okay.
2: I, I, I've i never seen it. I've never tried it. Like, I think a cow would just kick the shit out of you. You tried yeah. to come up and run. I don't know.
0: Old timers in Vermont always talked about really? it. Like when they were I mean, young, that's what they did in I, high school. I could
2: totally be wrong, but I've never seen a cow sleep standing up. Me neither. They lay down. You mm-hmm. might be able to kick her in the belly over or something, but I don't know.
1: Uh, Buds actually said on a show once he touched the horse penis, and it was the softest material he's ever felt. Oh, fact, yeah. J two. Have you ever heard of the pearl?
2: What's the pearl? Well,
1: so a horse. <laughs> it
2: might be too much information. No, but let's go. Let's like go. an old horse, like an old horse man. Their old cock, you got to pull it out of the sheath. Like the vet'll do it, and they'll just have like gnarly, scabby. Like it gets super dirty in there, and they'll form this thing they call the pearl. There's like a hard calcium thing in there that he'll knock out of there. Yeah, I just saw it. Can you
0: beat those up and wear them yeah. as a
1: necklace? Ah. <laughs> what are we talking about?
2: <laughs> yeah, my, it smells about like a horse cock. It does. <laughs> so.
1: Support for the bomb hole is brought to you by our friends over at Manscaped. Now, holidays are right around the corner. If you're looking for a great gift, get yourself a Manscaped Lawnmower 4.0, perhaps the performance package 4.0.
0: When I was a kid, I used a uh, normal hair trimmer to shave my ball sack. Almost lost it.
1: You almost lost the satchel. Yes, almost cut
0: off the ball sack. You ever tried that on a uh, normal one? With they, they're not designed like the manscape. The manscape is smooth, just trims off your hair with nothing. Does not hurt at all.
1: You basically almost neutered yourself uh, by accident by not using a manscape. Yeah, basically almost became one ball stone. One ball stone. Well, I'll tell you what. These uh, the family jewels are precious, and these things have a, an awesome little plastic safeguard, so you're not going to be ripping satchel out there. Another thing that they got is the Crop Preserver. This is their body wash. It's actually called the Crop Cleanser.
0: I actually washed my beard with that this morning.
1: Exactly. We use it at the bomb hole. We use it as a hand wash as well. And it's nice. It's multi-purpose. You can wash your ball sack uh, or you can wash your hands. So that's fantastic. And I don't
0: know. Have you ever been on an airplane and seen that guy with nose hair pretty much protruding out his nose and it almost looks like a mustache? Mm -hmm. Get the Weed Whacker and bam. Get rid of it's that It's basically nose a
1: nose and ear hair trimmer, right? Yeah,
0: and it uh, makes it, you know how when you tweeze your nose hair, it hurts like a yeah. boom. You use this thing, no pain, comes right off. It's actually kind of fun to use.
1: Holy smoke. And then you don't want to be looking like, you know, Yoda. Yoda's got that ear hair. You know And that nose that, hair. And that it. nose hair. So, again, head on over to uh, manscaped.com. Use promo code Bombhole, And you'll save 20%. If you're going to buy one, might as well save 20%. Again, head over to manscaped.com. Promo code Bombhole. Get yourself or a loved one a great gift. Cryptocurrency is the future, so don't get left in the past. Bet with MyBookie and you can get in the game now. To get you kick-started with crypto, use promo code SPORTSDRINK, all caps, to double your first crypto deposit at MyBookie. The best part is MyBookie accepts all well-known cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin and Litecoin, so you can bet and withdraw with crypto. The NFL playoffs are right around the corner, so don't be afraid to place your first bet now. Don't miss out. Double your first deposit up to $1,000 by using promo code SPORTSDRINK, all cap. Head to MyBookie today, place your bets, and watch the sparks fly with UFC 269. Bet anything, anytime, anywhere with MyBookie. I think this is a perfect time to transition into a question from none other than Alex Pashley. Here we go,
2: bombhole. How are ya, Alex Pashley here? Uh, question for Mister Carter. Carter, um, you love to talk about milking snakes and snake milking. Um, if you could go into a little bit of a description on exactly what snake milking is, and have you ever milked the snake? Thanks, guys. Later. Yeah, milkers, snake milkers. I mean, the. I'll just tell you the like the whole context of sn- where snake milking came from was uh i was just we we'd been filming a lot and I, for whatever reason i was watching like a uh, a documentary on uh milking snakes like venom how they milk them ah mm-hmm. so that okay so that it was like milk. milking that's what they call milking the snake and we were in the parking lot one morning and uh everybody pulls up and they're just chilling and i just talk a lot of shit and i was like hey what's up you fucking snake milkers and so it just became this like i just started calling everybody snake milkers uh, and and it doesn't really have like a general description. It's just kind of like you can throw it around, like uh, call people milkers or, or snake milkers. It's just kind of like uh, my friends, or if, you know, you can use it in a lot of different uh, mm-hmm. contexts. You know, snake milkers, in- interesting. Uh, hey, snake I, I watch
1: a lot of the I watch a lot of hockey, and uh, I was watching the guys mic'd up. I think it was behind the bee. It was behind the bee, a show about the Bruins, and uh, in hockey, the they they talk shit. Uh, to each other uh, aggressively and one of the guys was like suck it you fucking milk drinker and then the, the guy milk next drink. to him he's like milk, <laughs> milk drinker huh? he's like yeah guy likes to milk drink or uh, like guy, uh, <laughs> guy likes to uh drink milk and you're like oh okay but like yeah it's it just sounds like just good banter to me. Yeah. good it's endearing like, term
2: it's good endearing and it's like it's not that offensive and you yeah. can kind of take it with whatever you want to take it as and I use milker a lot I'm like what's up you milkers like these milkers <laughs> over here are like dragging their feet Snake milkers, I don't know. Pashley loves it. He yeah. just loves
0: it. I'm going to ask you a Patreon question. This is from Sean Gruhagen. Okay. He wants to know about river dicking.
2: <laughs> I did not coin that term. That is a Willie McMillan term. But it's basically, you know, as a man, you jump into a river and uh, you get, might get a little shrinkage. So, basically, yeah, it's river dicking. <laughs>
0: <laughs> just another another word for shrinkage.
2: Yeah, shrinkage. River Love dickin' it. and and we can use it in a lot of contexts of like just riding your snow at twenty below and you're like river dickin'. It's cold day. We're river dickin'. So
1: got it. It's your dick <laughs> shriveling up because it's cold. Yeah, yeah. River That's, dickin'. Got it. Um, I actually you were talking earlier about um. I'm gonna go off on a little sidebar talking to william McMillan. He mentioned he said you have to ask him about the time he was out with Travis Rice and he <laughs> uh was ghost riding his sled. Oh, what happened there?
2: Wow. Uh, yeah, I came in super hot. Got a brand new first year, signed with Atomic. Got second in the natural selection. Travis was like, Ooh, we're, we're, let's go film. I got this, like, Atomic gave me this Arctic Cat M8. I was so stoked. We Arctic Cat, huh? Yeah, Arctic That's Cat. a little
1: bit of a kind of... Oh uh, shit! Wrong. That was gonna be a gunshot. I, I mean, to, meh, crack, meh, crack, crack meh. Already, cat's so, kind of a tough look. I'm just gonna say that it, it's
2: a tough look, but it was free. It was, yeah, so, it was free. so, Got, so okay. Travis and I, you know, we're up at the six zone. Like, uh, mm. we're we're go we're just gonna drop in and 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 ride this just like m- mellow warm up line. And so he drops his nice, beautiful, brand new Skidoo in, um, on or no, it's off. Locked it. Let it go. And I'm like, well. I could just oh no, he had his on, so it ran way out there. And I just was like, well, I'll just turn mine off and it won't run into it. <clears throat> well, I just dropped it in behind him, not thinking. I'm a rookie. And I'm just we're just sitting there watching this sled pick up speed. I'm like, oh shit. And it just ass packs his sled so bad. <laughs> like freaking, I'll never forget it. It was it was uh St. Patty's Day, and uh shit goes everywhere. Travis just looks at me. We ride down to it. The damage is as bad as it sounded. My oil's leaking out. We're on top of this ridge. So I just haul ass up to this ridge and able to ghost ride all the way out with no oil down to the highway. Yeah, of course, you know, that was the day. And uh, I immediately called Pearson. I was like, hey, you guys don't happen to have insurance on that uh, that sled, do you? He's like, nope. It cost me like five G's to fix everything. So I was just like, <laughs> note to self. Yeah. Worked your
0: That's sled more than to, his, I imagine. Huh?
2: Oh yeah, but he still like I think he ch- definitely got the insurance agent to charge the utmost on his because I ended up paying like twenty five hundred bucks for him. I'm like, cool, dude, thanks. Tunnel was probably bent. <laughs> Tunnel was bent. He's like, oh, this. He even told me he's like, oh, the cheater rack. That must be like seven hundred bucks. I was like, what? You fucking got it for free, dude. <laughs> <laughs> to pay for all this. Sh- like, whatever, but. It was a uh, it was a bad deal. That I'm actually be. the most
1: surprised at the fact that you wrote an Arctic cat for a period of time. That's actually a little bit uh, you know interesting. Just when you think you know somebody, you I know. know,
2: man. I know, I know. It was a good thing that thing just just yeah, got fine. destroyed. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Yeah. Well, let's get into a section of the show we call "Name That Video Part." Name that video part. Okay, Name That Video Part is presented by our new sponsor mammoth mountain now mammoth mountain kicks ass they uh they're open now if you're interested in going doing some snowboarding they are officially open and they're home to the famed unbound terrain parks right bud yeah
0: in peak season unbound operates eight parks in three different half pipes they got one of those little ones for old dogs like me which is Mm -hmm. pretty dope
1: yeah they got parks from all ability levels i've been going there since i was 18 pretty much every spring and uh at least once a year, and the place is incredible. If you want to get good at snowboarding, go ride Mammoth Main Park. It is unreal. The level of riding is good. The jumps are perfect. Uh, one of my favorite places on planet Earth to ride a snowboard park is Mammoth Mountain. Now, they're giving away a four-pack of tickets to Mammoth Mountain plus some bomb hole swag to the Name That Video Part winner. So the stakes just got raised. Every If you are the winner of Name That Video Part, you're going to get... A Bunch of tickets to Mammoth, right? But for the
0: next three months only, so
1: be on your game. This is going to be good. Sharpen your teeth in the video part realm and check out Mammoth Mountain. What's your confidence level zero through 10? Eight. Oh, I like that. That's, dude, that's like coming that's in hot. Thing. I like that.
0: Um, a lot of people, we hear a lot of ones, 0.5s, twos, <laughs> threes. I think you're going to
1: get this one. I don't know, dude. I'm just talking shit. Here we <laughs> go. I, um, I think you're going to get this one. I've also heard you hate this song. Here we go.
0: Dude, everyone knows this (laughs) one. (laughs) Oh. Come on.
1: Uh, That's it. That's all. Yes, it is. Yeah, of course. Uh, I'm in
2: that fucking part. I should get that.
1: Yes. And Willie McMillan, he said, use that song because you hate that fucking song. (laughs) Everybody hates that song. (laughs) I saw it had like 44 million views on YouTube when I was looking up. I was like, holy Jesus. The, okay.
0: The, what's the band called? Uh,
1: uh, Muse? I don't know. No. I forget. The kids. People? The, the kids. kids. The kids. No, kids was the name of the song. Kids is the song. Kids is the song. Shit, I forget. Um, Those damn kids. Next, the next one, uh, and this was big because Mammoth has given away some tickets to go along oh, with this. Dang. That's right. Um, so name that video part for the listeners. Here we go. You guys know the drill. If you know which part this is, comment on Mark Carter's photo on, it, on our Instagram, at the Bombhole when this comes out. For the answer. Winner will be crowned, a bomb hole prize pack and some mammoth lift tickets. Here we go. I know this one.
0: <laughs>
1: All right, I want to get into uh, kind of back Do to you, some snowboard uh, talk.
0: Forgot to give him his cool. Oh
1: shit! You know what? Before we forget, I forgot to give you, you actually just earned yourself a uh, bomb hole cooler. Oh, snap. Uh, it's not a Yeti, so I don't know if you're even contractually allowed to even look Ooh. at that. <laughs> but, uh, man, that's We can slap a it, Yeti sticker w- on yeah, it. Yeah, we got, oh, uh, it's filled with bomb hole merch. You got a coffee oh, mug, sick. you got some hats, you Thank got all you. kinds of, there's a, on the top, there's a little thing, that, oh, you got it open, yeah, there we go. I think
0: it's going to be on, on eBay. Probably. Yeah, that'll right probably be on eBay in 30
1: seconds. <laughs> but uh, Oh, man, thanks, thanks. Well, why did they get that? What's that? Why did I win because that? Because well, you you, you guess video what part. video part it is? Oh, damn! We actually give it to all of our guests, <laughs> but we make it seem like you. If you, even if you don't get it, we give it to. Hey, to man! Guys. You got it. I though. knew I came in hot, but you guys really helped me. Gave me a crutch mm-hmm. on that one. And so, uh, but yeah, let's get back into some snowboard talk here because I, I want to talk about some of the correlations between ranching and snowboarding. And I've noticed that you know if you think about the way you navigate the to- topography of you know the the land, I guess essentially when you're ranching, you're just covering acres and acres of land and kind of corralling this these cattle. And with snowboarding, the way you approach it via split board or snowmobile, you're kind of doing the same thing. What what are the similarities between, you know, reading the land and both of those things?
2: Yeah, I mean it's like uh, the parallels are there's a lot of parallels and I think it's you you start first with, you know, where you're gonna go, kind of understanding the, the the train you're gonna be entering um second you're gonna have your crew you're gonna need your your gear and i I love like putting all my gear together like you know you got like you try to be as comfortable as you can in the suffering um and then just going in you know having intention entering whether it be the mountains or the gather and having an idea but not being so set on something that you can't audible you know i always have like an escape route i'm never like I have an idea, like when I'm riding, I have an idea of what I want to do, but I'm not just like, no matter what, I'm going to do that. I'm going to like go out there and like, listen to it, like feel the energy and like, listen to what, whatever the signs are telling me, whether it's the crows circling, I'm very intuitive in like the coyote crossing my path on the way out. You know, I like listen for all the signs. Cause I think when you're open and, and your intention is right, like the signs are there. You can't like, don't cloud your, your decision making with your, like maybe your ego a little bit. Um, and then just, you know, trying to, you know, be, be smart, you know, just like beyond all the decision-making, you still have to like get the job done, you know, and, you know, it's like whatever that may be using your tools that you have using the people that you have because at the end of the day, whether it's gathering or, or riding big lines, like it's coming home safe. Like that's like, that's my main goal when I leave. I'm like, okay we got all the bases covered. We're set up for success, but like nothing's worth anybody's health. So I think if all those things come to kind of come together and and it's like, you're going to have the hard days riding where you're just going to take a beating and your pride is just bruised. When you come home, you got to let that go. And especially even with like ranching, you're going to have those big days where you just suffer. You might not get it all done. It's like, that was yesterday, man. Like you go into the next day in order to be productive, you have to let all that go because that doesn't matter. It was yesterday, you know, whether you didn't land or you didn't get everything. And it's like with gathering, there's less of a pride thing, you know, like with your ego, like getting bruised, like you may just be pissed and your hands are numb. But like with snowboarding and filming, you put all this effort into breaking open a zone and like getting there and being productive. And you have this idea, the stars are going to align, you're going to land everything, you're going to first track, you know, the, the natural hit. And then you just tomahawk first track, you know, you're like, it's such a mental game to just like let that go and not be angry and just go into the next thing. Um, because I don't know, forcing anything you just end up in a bad place. So I I just try to let it flow, listen to the signs and, uh, never force it because I don't know. That's just my approach and I see people force it and they'll get it done. But I'm like, are you having fun? I mean, I, I know it's a job, dude. Like people are like, you're working. i was like, you know, it's not 30 below, and my arm isn't up a heifer's ass, so yes. it's actually snowboarding's pretty chill.
1: That's, that's what I've been wondering too this whole time. You grew up, you know, basically on a ranch your whole freaking life, and then you go out with snowboarding's very nonchalant, relaxed, a lot of uh, a lot of a lot of laziness going on. A lot yeah. of uh, a lot of people like to smoke weed, which is totally huh. fine. Uh, but when you when you come, are you are you basically just like. Jesus, these snowboards are soft. <laughs> I mean,
2: I, I, I'm i guilty of being soft too, man. Like, yeah, I think uh, it, it's a very selfish sport, we yes. can all agree. And it's like, it's not necessarily like you weren't honed. It's not like skating or surfing where you were like a super dirt poor kid who got a skateboard and were super talented and you ended up being this amazing snowboarder. No, it's like usually you probably have some opportunities coming up snowboarding, you know, like you could afford to get a snowboard. You could afford to go snowboarding. Uh, you may have got to go to Mount hood. Like it's, it's not this world where you just fought tooth and nail to make it happen because that's all you had. It's like for most pro snowboarders, there's now, you know, I think if, if you, if you're open to that and I think a lot of guys don't give themselves out. If you identify as just a pro snowboarder, like you're going to have a you're going to have a hard fall from the top, you know? And I think you see the guys that are smart and they they manage, you know, they they're like this is temporary, dude. Like this shit could go, all these contracts could go away next year. But what's your end game? So, if you've been a pro snowboarder your whole life, you probably never had like a job where you had to do something you didn't want to do and then you're going to look back at your snow your snowboard career and be like, "Oh, the snow wasn't good enough." And you're like, "Dude, don't be a little It's like <laughs> Fuck, dude.
0: Have you ever been so cold out there that you wished your hand was in a heifer's ass?
2: <sighs> no, <laughs> it's that bad. Huh? It, it's not that bad, but <laughs> it's uh, you gotta, you know, you gotta clean it off after. Yeah, and I, you know, Don't like they
0: have big those big arm yeah, condoms. Yeah, you know, yeah.
2: Well. That's just, you know, I like to know glove.
0: You know? You're one of those guys. <laughs> yeah, well.
2: <laughs> <laughs> he likes to go in raw. He no, you're like, go in oh, raw. He's a raw dog, or you're he's like, a like, a don't, dog. Don't mind the glove. No, I've never seen a rancher put a glove on to, 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 to like pull a calf or right really? anything.
0: Nah, dude. That's what just what made do. for TV, huh? Uh,
2: the, well, if you're preg testing, which is totally different wow. when they stick their arm up the ass and fill the embryo. Uh yeah, they wear a glove. Okay. They wear a big sleeve because you're doing that to like you're punching like you know, I, I've done so like you could 800 wear a big heads sleeve in a and day. you just
1: opt not to. You could. Yeah. I,
0: it's raw dog. It. <sighs>
1: <laughs> yeah, that seems like it seems like uh like maybe waiting in the clouds is definitely better than shoving your entire arm up a cow's ass. Yeah, yeah. It could be. It could be. <laughs> well, let's pivot back into, uh, I know you had a huge breakout when you uh, did well at the national selection. How was that experience?
2: Oh my gosh. Um, yeah, that was one of those selections. That was like one of those moments in my life where, uh, you know, that was just such a pivotal point in my career. And I don't think I would be where I'm at without that. Because, you know, it's such a, like that, the industry at that time was, you had to do something to be a pro. Like you, there was like, something like Travis on the cover at super park. Like there, there was something you had to do great in order to do it. There was no social media. There was no, like you're marketing yourself. Like you weren't marketing yourself. It was like photographers and magazines and videos. It was like your peers judging you being like, yeah, he's in, it wasn't like I'm a pro. Like the, I think pro snowboarding is thrown around pretty loosely these days. Mm -hmm. Anybody can be a pro man. Like you get paid to snowboard uh, neat story, but like, the natural selection for me was my breakout, you know, and, and I had, I, I was nobody. I was a dark horse. Luckily I was, I was friends with Travis and he saw something in me and Kurt, they saw something and they gave me that chance. They gave me that opportunity, you know, that was coming. And I, re- I just remember Kurt was just like, dude, we're going to give you this chance. Just Don't blow it. And I'm like, oh, cool, dude. Thanks for, thanks for the support. <laughs> but I knew, you know, I had the advantage. we were on my home turf. Like we were in Jackson stuff. I rode all the time. I had this momentum from, you know, like from losing my cousin Mark. And I was just like coming into it. I was like, man, all these opportunities mean nothing. If you're not going to like jump at them and just put your all into it. And And mentally I knew something great was going to happen. I just came into it with this mindset of like, dude it's like go for death you know gooch, gooch would say that when he's a kid he's like oh just skating to go for death and i was like okay this is it and i was going against like all these guys that i'd been watching like gi and nico and like volley and all these dudes that were just like my heroes granted i'm like probably older than them so i was like this <laughs> dark horse i was like in this weird position Everyone's like what's it what's this guy doing here and uh you know, the stars aligned for Travis and all of us and it started snowing. And I mean, it didn't stop snowing and I was just feeling it. And I mean, that was such a magical trip or such a magical week. Everybody came together. We had early trams. We were all just riding together and the, in the energy on that mountain was just like something I've never felt since there was just this unity within the snowboarding and all these guys, the egos were just left, left at, left behind and everybody was just smiles. Even the competition, nobody was like serious. It wasn't a serious, like, dude, you gotta win. Um, I, I felt no pressure to win. I was just like, do what you do, land on your feet. Something will happen. And I'll never forget the, the, you know, the day that, that we did dicks and, and literally like I had two shitty runs and it was kind of like, I was like, Oh, you know, I'm, I'm in there. I'm here. Like, I'm just lucky to be here. And then I just remember, like, listening to myself. I was like, dude, you're just, like, you're, like, kind of, like, blowing it. Like, you need to just go, like, try. Just go hard. And so they gave us a third, like, wild card run. And and I, I did, like, a front seven tail. And, like, everything came together. And I just landed everything. And I was like, holy cow. That was, like, that felt really good. And I think I was sitting in third position at that point of everybody. I was like, whoa, okay. Really, I was like, I think... Okay, I can do this now. You know, it's like gave me this motivation, this confidence. And then Casper Bowl was the was like the second day of competition. I think it was the last day, and it finally we got the sun. And I mean it'd been nuking. Casper bowl was as as stacked as I've ever seen it. And so I was in third position, and Travis was first, Lando was second, me, and we got to pick our our running order and uh dropping order into Casper Casper Bowl. And Travis is like, uh, third. And I'm like, what third? You don't want to go first. And Lando's like, he kind of like threw Lando off. I think it was Lando. And he's like fourth. And I was like, first, like, let's do this, man. Like I'll I'll go first. And, uh, I wrote this line that I've never wrote again, just straight down the middle off. And it was perfect. It was so deep. And I remember like feeling good about it. And you know, the night before that I'd literally gone out to dinner with these two, two friends and I, it was like, I, I got it ladies. Like I'll get dinner. You know, I swiped my card. They're like insufficient funds. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. And the next day, uh, that next evening we had that crazy comp and I got second, you know, Travis got first and I got second and won like 15 G's. And it was wow. just like, I mean, that was it for me. You know, it was like a defining moment. I remember just thinking to myself, like, holy cow. Like, I can't believe that I actually just won this and like was above all these of my heroes. And that gave me the confidence to just kind of, uh, to know that I was I was in it, mm-hmm. you know, and that's where the contracts really started coming. North Face saw that and they signed me. I signed with weekend snowboards. Yep. But then, you know, I had this like lull in my career. I was, I, I thought that I needed to, you know, and I worked with Travis on the next year with Absinthe. And that experience was just really tough for me. I, I, I kind of fell out of love with snowboarding. Like I'd, I'd had this like extreme high And, um, I, everything was good in my life, but I, and I was dating this girl and everything was really good. But like my, my, my fire, my fire wasn't there, man. I kind of like peaked almost. And, uh, I just had to step away from the, from the shadow of Trav. Cause I mean, he is like in snowboarding, man, like working with him, his work ethic is so gnarly. Like he will wear you out. Like nobody that's can stay on, nobody can stay on that wave, you know, on that, that like momentum that he has. And he's so good at what he does, but dude, I was worn out. I was like, oh man, I'm beat. I I, I just need to be, it's like working for somebody almost. It's like, you need to step out and find your own, your own path, you know? Mm-hmm. And and that's where I really had to step away and go through some like extremely hard times. To, like, really realize, hey, man, like, what are you doing? Why are you snowboarding? Like, are you snowboarding for the money? Or or are you snowboarding because you love to snowboard? And until that happened to me, like, I I was lost, man. Like, I I could have given snowboarding up. I was flying around the world with Justin Timberlake. Like, shit was good. I was making money. I was just like, this is what's up. And you just kind of get entitled, you know? You're just kind of, like, complacent. And I've always said that complacency is just death, man. Like, you, you find yourself in this position of comfort and it's what's driving you, you know? And you know, it's like the shit that happened to me, you know, it was, it was fucking crazy, man. Like kind of a backstory, you know, you, you've now, you've heard about my upbringing and, and, and how I lived off the land and all these things. But, you know, through my whole like early snowboarding career, I was guiding hunting with my brother. Like we, we were guiding hunting on the ranch and, uh, you know, we, we managed the animals in a way we were only like hunting big, mature animals. And we'd gotten kind of sideways, you know, like from maybe the lack of like respect for the law and the lack of, uh, acknowledgement and living in this small town, you know, we were just kind of like really nothing can happen to us. And so we were, what we were doing is, you know, our area is a hard, it's called a draw. So you put in for a lottery. Um, if you're out of state or in state, you put in for area 45, and then you are allowed, uh, it's like a, might take you, I don't know, five, five years to draw this, this tag, but you'll get it. Well, as a landowner, we are guaranteed a tag every year. And so what we were doing is like, well, I get a tag. Why don't we just sell it to the guy that wants to hunt with us and then we'll take him hunting. So we're guaranteed to like get these guys to come hunting. So it's like, and, and the thing about selling landowner tags and not to justify what we did, we broke the law but it's legal in a lot of states it's legal in utah to do exactly what we were doing like Mm -hmm. deseret ranch you come to the landowner he can sell your tag i can't shoot an animal but now you've bought my tag you go shoot an animal so that's what we were doing and we didn't really realize like the extremity like how extreme this was like um you know, it was, it was ignorance, you know, and that's no excuse. Like It's, it's just against
0: like, the law in your state.
2: It's, it's a misdemeanor. So it's a misdemeanor in Wyoming to sell your landowner tag. And, and where it got really messy is the guys that we were working with from uh, the guys that wanted to come out and hunt with us. were from Oregon. And there was like these brothers and they were like, Hey, we'll just buy your landowner tags every year. We'll come out. You sell us the tags, take us hunting. Boom.
1: And it wasn't Taking like it across state lines. Sorry to interrupt. You. Yeah. Going. Yeah. So,
2: <clears throat> and, and, and the thing was, is like, we were just like, Oh, cool right on. We're making money. And I, and I wasn't like making a ton of money. It was like, for me though, like it was a lot of money, like, like $3,000 for working in the fall. was like, holy cow, this is like a big deal. Like, this is going to help me, uh, in my life. <clears throat> and so we were doing that for about eight years and not every hundred, it came through like bottle land or a tag. We have le- legit guys, but these, these brothers, there was like two ta- or I think we would do like two tags a year with them. And, Uh, It didn't mean they got an elk every year because we always managed like, hey, we're only shooting the mature bulls, no babies, no young bulls. So a lot of times they'd go home without a bull. A lot of years they'd get a nice bull. And so it just kind of got into this cycle of, you know, I was at a point in my life where I was hating guiding people. I hated doing it because I was like, it just like getting animals for somebody that necessarily didn't deserve it, you know, is this kind of like was against everything I was and I didn't feel right about it, but we continued to do it. Cause I was doing it for the money and I kind of felt like I was helping my brother too. He was in a position where he, he was, he was doing, it was his business. I was a guide, I was cooking. And so we got ourselves into this full shit show and I had no idea that like the, the, the storm that was coming and, uh, they had had one of their friends come out and hunt with us and he ended up not being successful with an animal. And, uh, he went back to Oregon and basically told, uh, the Oregon turned to sin was like, Hey, these guys are poaching these animals. They have a big, uh, big, uh, poaching ring and all this stuff. And, and I will say that not to defend myself, uh, that anything I did was right, but every animal that was killed had a tag on it, it just wasn't killed by me. So, Man one morning it was June six. I'll never forget it uh the uh, the feds I mean they come in hot six in the morning. I had like five of them show up at my door. My brother had like i think uh fifteen of them show up at the ranch. He was out on this tractor you know like came through the house, confiscated everything, walked all over his, his uh floor with muddy shoes. He had babies It wasn't like you know. We weren't hiding anything. We had a website with these illegal animals. That's how, like, we didn't really understand, the ex- like, how extreme this was. And they could have came and asked us. They could have been like, "Hey, what's going on?" We're like, "Ah, we're doing this. It's illegal." Yes, totally, totally, am in the wrong. But to come in with that heat was just like an eye opening, uh, eye opening experience for me. And I, I remember going through it. It was like very surreal. I was like, holy shit, like this is happening. Like, I didn't even know what I'd done, really. I knew there was some like shady hunting shit there, but I was like, holy cow. And these guys are like, you're in deep trouble. I'm like, oh, okay. And then you didn't, we didn't hear about anything for a year. I didn't even get a lawyer. I was like, whoa, dude, like, I think we're in trouble. Maybe it's going to go away. <laughs> Maybe it's going to go away. And then, uh, I mean, I didn't tell any of my sponsors or anything. I was just kind of like milking. It was like 2000, 2010. So I was high on the horse, man. Like I said, I was flying around Timberlake, and just life was good. Having lunch with Elton John, I'm just like, oh, I'm rich. Didn't appreciate any of it. And uh, in 2011 uh, September, uh, we get a, we get uh, papers in the mail indicting us, and so <clears throat> we were indicted on. So, so where it all got really tricky was if none of these animals had left Wyoming, it would have been a misdemeanor, probably five ten thousand dollar fine. I'd have lost my hunting rights for maybe a few years. But since a couple of these animals were taken back to Oregon by the hunters, it crossed this interstate lines calling the violation of the Lacey Act. And that's where the feds were like, gotcha. And they came in, dude. And uh, yeah, we got. I got indicted. I, I'll never forget. I went to Casper, uh, stood in front of the federal court, and they indicted me and my brother each on 11 felonies apiece. Um, so I was facing 55 years in prison, $4.5 million in fines. Um They indicted my dad on three felonies, which he just owned the ranch. He was never even involved in the, in the hunting. And so he was indicted. And I literally was like, I am so fucked right now. I I wrote a check for $20,000 to a lawyer to represent me. And I knew like, dude, the shit storm was coming. I was like, okay. So I had to sit with that for a year and a half. I'm like, okay, I'm going to prison for like 55 years for these elk. And I'm like, whoa. And I just, and it was really hard for me to understand. Like, like, I'm like, okay. I didn't kill anybody, but I'm facing, like, murder charges. Um, I, I admit, like, I, I totally uh, cooperated with government. I, mean, I sat down for a proffer, which is, like, you sit down with the feds. There's, like, 10 feds. You sit down, and, and they grill you, and they ask you about everything, and you tell them the truth top to bottom. And if they think you're lying, they're going to screw you over. But if they think you're, like, telling the truth, they'll, I don't know if they went lenient, but they – they they said i've never been a liar. I told the truth. I told them everything, man I was just like hey, you know What am what are we gonna do here boys? <laughs> like like I I will tell you everything like I we I wasn't trying to hide anything, you know and not to defend it Like I broke the law man and you know, like the the long arm of the law came down tough and But I remember through that whole experience. I was like take notes because y- you're gonna learn a lot through this whole experience Like just take notes understand how these guys work. And, you know, this is going to be one hell of a learning experience. And so, man, I just uh, a year and a half, it taught me a lot of patience because I had no idea what was going to happen. I really thought like, man, I was going to prison, everything was over. But when we got indicted, then um, that was when the, the media started pumping all this stuff, like we were poaching. And I mean, I learned that, the, the media can basically write anything they want without even fact checking. And um, what were we, get, what were you we going to do? You know, I was getting advice from like an A-list celebrity. I was like, dude, what do I do? And he's like, give them nothing. Like, don't say anything. Just give them nothing. Don't, you know, you don't, you don't pick a fight with somebody that buys ink by the barrel. And I was like, "Uh, not to self. So they just, you know, from the local media to the, to the big papers. I mean, I was front page with my family just, you know, talking about how bad of people we were and like the comments you couldn't read that because i mean they were like kill them hang them you know all this shit i was like whoa okay we we'll this is crazy That's shit up. you know crazy shit and then uh you know i think what the fuck was that that it had nothing to do with snowboarding right but there was some dude was it bordistan wrote an article and just blew it out there and then trans world business picked it up and then it was all over and then i'm getting calls from all my sponsors like dude, you okay. I was (laughs) like, I don't know, man, but they knew my integrity and they knew what kind of person I was like, especially like the companies like North face, like they stuck by me, man. Like, I'm not going to say I got any raises, but you know, I was transparent with them at that point. But before I really felt bad, I should have been like out the gate transparent with, with what was going on and accountable for my actions. Because like, if I, I'm a hypocrite. If I'm not accountable for my actions and, and to take full responsibility for the mistakes that I've made. And we got through it, man. But it was like super scary. I mean, so basically I was in Japan trying to limp along my snowboard career. That was just like, my life was falling apart. Uh, girlfriend left me for good reason. I was stressed, man. Like it suck. I suck to be around. Like, I'm like, Oh, well, what's the point, man? I was playing victim. I was like, Oh, poor me. But I'm like, dude, suck it up. You're snowboarding. You haven't lost anything yet. So just like prepare for the worst hope for the best. I'm in Japan. I'm hoping I'm not getting felonies. Boom. Uh, email from my lawyer. And he's like, you're getting three felonies. This is the plea bargain. You plead, you plead on these three felonies. Uh, and then $75,000 donation to the game and fish. And then you go to you're gonna go to try. You're gonna go to court. You're you're gonna go get uh, sentenced, and, and, but you won't be going to trial. Because if I go, to, if I went to trial, like I could have really faced 55 years in prison. If I would have been like, you're wrong, blah blah blah. I'm fighting this. I would have spent hundreds of thousand of dollars on a lawyer and probably ended up in prison, you know, over this shit. Mm-hmm. So, I was like, man, that was a tough day. I'll never forget in the elevator in in Niseko. I was like, fuck. All right. Well this is my life. I'm a felon, man. I'm going to be a felon. So I I like bit that bullet. I got through the winter. It was tough. Um, and then into that spring, then we went to court or we went to Cheyenne to the federal courthouse, which is don't I advise anyone. Don't ever do that. Don't go to the fed. Don't mess with the feds. Uh, and then I, I stood in front of the, the, the judge and she was, you know, she'd never seen anybody facing what I was facing with the record I had, which was zero record, you know. I had some bullshit on, on my younger stuff. But I you know, I stood up, I told her the truth. Um I didn't I got three years on supervised probation and, you know, like my plea was three felonies, uh, seventy five thousand dollars and um yeah, and then my, my brother stood up, they sentenced him to a year and a half in prison and the same seventy five thousand dollars. And then we were able to like appeal and plead and he ended up doing like Three 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 months in federal prison, which was luckily you know that was we we dealt with it. But you know, I just learned my I learned a valuable lesson. Like I was like, first off, like the way I I learned the whole system, and I was like, that's scary shit. So take note. And then it really gave me this fire. I remember going back into that winter, like I'd lost most of my sponsors, I had nothing, but. Gooch was like my mentor and I was like, okay, I don't have travel budget. I don't have, uh, the means to go do what the pro snowboarders do. I was just, I'm going to stick in Jackson. I'm going to rip my sled. Gooch and I are going to film. We had Joe Carter was just starting out filming and, uh, I just like got back to the roots of it, man. And and that's where it all changed for me. That was my perce- my my whole perce- perception shifted on like why I was snowboarding. I was like, it wasn't for the money. It wasn't for the fame. It was like, cause I love being in the mountains and Gooch was my mentor in that, in that whole process. And like, he really stood by me and gave me some great advice. And going into that winter, it was like 2013, man, I found myself. I found who I was. And from that moment on, like I just did it for myself. I didn't, I didn't listen to other people, what they had to say. I didn't worry about the outside world, um, uh, being critical of my decisions. I was just like, I, I stood up, I was accountable for everything I did. Yeah, yeah. I took responsibility and I was like, man, this is, this is what's up. Let's like, let's move on. Like I don't live in the past. Like I, I fucked up, let's move on. And you know, I don't ask for forgiveness, but like redemption is, is a real thing. And to be able to to like be where I'm at in this world and now and successful in my snowboarding career and actually start hunting again, which was a really sore subject for me. I mean, I can't have guns. I can't vote. Like, I know what it's like to not have rights. Like, like people talk about like losing rights. I was like, listen, dude. Like, you don't want to lose your rights, man. Like, freedom is everything to me. And I, I'm barely a a U.S. citizen, mm-hmm. so it's 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 like I understand how all this works and but like redemption for me was picking up a bow and being mentored by John Dudley. And that all happened through yet Yeti. They were like such like a vessel for me to like open my mind up again and, and, and open my heart up to hunting again. And then just like finding bow hunting, man, like, and like being back out there for the right reasons. it just like changed my life. And like, I'm like, I like snowboarding and I like bow hunting. Like, those are two things that, that, uh, that I'll do the rest of my life, you know? And I just think, it's okay to mess up and it's okay to, to make mistakes. It's like human man, like we've all fucked up, but just acknowledge and be accountable and be responsible for your decisions. And like, that's all people ask, but like then forgive because Mm -hmm. like that's, that's in our human DNA to forgive people if they're willing to be responsible and, and move on from that, you know? And I think, not forgiving is really just unhuman, you know, inhuman or whatever you would say, but it's just, I don't know. We're in this weird, this weird environment where people just want to hate and divide and separate. And I'm like, man, like we're all humans. We we need to unite and but we need to hold people and our leaders accountable for fucking up. Like these are the people we're supposed to be following. And when people just Push the blame off on other people. It's just like a really ugly thing.
1: Dude. Oh man, I, I gotta, I gotta uh, seriously sing you some praises on on the way you handled that situation because it it would have been so easy to not take accountability and look at that in a, in a way where you say, well, I mean, if you go one state over, this is legal. Like this isn't what like this isn't my fault. Why are you guys out to get me? Why are you? But the way you just spoke on that and you took complete ownership and acknowledged like. I fucked up like that. That's respect. That speaks to your character. That's to me, to me is just like fucking, it's just so the excuse train would be so easy to just fucking. And then you could flip the story and say, everybody was out to get me. It wasn't my fault. I got everything stacked against me, but you're literally like this shit happened. And it seems to me as I, when I look at where you're at now, that could have been the best thing that ever happened to you because you know, like now you you're making more, not that it's about the money, but you you're doing it because you love it, and you're, you got the best sponsors you've ever yeah. had. Yeah. And um, and it's just amazing to see, you know, how you that that situation, I would say probably nine people out of ten would have folded them and crushed them, and yeah. they would have been living in resentment fucking village and excuse <laughs> alley <laughs> and fucking, and just, like, blaming the world because the world is up to get them. But the way okay. you were able to, you know, that's what, where characters formed. How It's not what, it, like, your triumphs. How did you deal with the situation where you're in the fucking gutter you know yeah and that's that to me is inspiring that whole story right there i mean i've i've hunt i hunt birds i brought uh i've limited out two days in wyoming and we brought me and my buddies brought all the birds back um and we had cleaned them already and we didn't we didn't dress them and we all got fined 400 bucks for it for not dressing the birds properly and that's just a couple guys you know and and it's serious shit and yeah how do you
0: know how are you supposed to know this stuff I mean, if i just well, picked up hunting tomorrow i would have no idea any of these things well, i guess you, you just, do hunter safety there's a find yeah, the in order way, to guess, hunt too.
1: you have to do a course called hunter safety to get your your license and, and they everything. break these kind they of things give, down. they explain all this stuff yeah yeah and
2: it, there's there's no excuse for breaking the law you know like ignorance is not an excuse it's like if you're going to get into something you need to you need to do your homework man like uh like you guys
0: knew you were breaking the law. Yeah,
2: I knew I was breaking the law. I mean, to extent, if you would have told me those were felonies, yeah. I, like, I was like, whoa, like I had no idea. Like, Not it that that's that his heavy. excuse, but I was like, okay, yeah. but that's just the environment I grew up in, man. Like we got away with a lot. Like the cops, like our cop, like I, like he was so lenient on us and that's no excuse. Like it was awesome. I had a great childhood. He really protected um, us. He understood that we were in this environment, in this country where in a country Setting where it wasn't like you didn't have to be that strict. You could kind of like give us a lot of reins, and I think that got us kind of where we were. Like, didn't respect the law as much as we should have, dude. And like, listen, man,
0: you're living lawless over there.
2: There's no, you break the law, you're gonna get, you're gonna get burnt. And like, you can continue to cut corners, but I, I really judge a a person by their integrity, by what they do when no one's looking. You know, like, what's your decision when no one's looking? And that's how you can really, really find someone's someone's character, you know. And I always think about that. You know, I come from I'm named after m- both of my grandfathers, Mark Carter and, and Philip Brinkman, and they were mighty, mighty men and they were honest men. And and I always know they're watching over me, even like my cousin Mark. And I was like, somebody's watching. Like you might be able to cut this corner, cut this corner, but man my integrity is worth more than anything. Like I will drop all my paychecks for, in my integrity. Like I won't look in the mirror and be disgraced by the man I am because you you can't buy that back, you know? And I see people, maybe in my younger years, I would have jeopardized that for, for a paycheck, but man, the older I get, I was just like, if anybody's going to have me jeopardize my integrity and what I believe in for a paycheck, they can go fuck themselves like i don't care even
0: making that much money too it sounds like for three felonies or or what you even are 55 years in jail i
2: i mean dude i spent the
0: crime doesn't really match the
2: the punishment at all and and it is what it is man and i guess that they, they thought that was that was uh that fit the crime but i tell you once you get once you get messed up with the feds dude like uh
0: you kind of also just glazed over timberlake and elton john Yeah, I have a a guest question
1: from uh, Willie McMillan about that. And also, um, I'm supposed to, while I got you on the spot, Willie says that you don't put a Bluebird sticker on your board anymore, and he he wants me to ask you about that, and he's a little bit chapped. Oh, damn, put me on the spot. Yeah, what's up with that?
2: (sighs) Oh, I. They quit making the middle finger one, man. So like it kind of like bummed me out. So I kind of like that vulgar middle finger on mm. the on the tip. But tell them to bring it back. I'll put it on.
1: And there it is. You hear? You have Do you it? Wax your board with bluebird. And it's it, hey, listen,
2: it's not even about bluebird. It that's a family, like uh, dude through and through. Like those guys. I love Willie. I love everything he's done. He's done so much for me. He gave me some great advice too when I was coming up. He's like. Dude, don't worry about what everybody else is doing. That's like straight up Willie. I was sitting out there on the snowmobile at Mosquito Creek, <clears throat> just trying to come up and do it. And I remember like people were landing and I was tomahawking. He's like, "Don't worry about what everybody else is doing." He's like, "Just you know, dude, just do you." And I was like, "Oh, okay." You salty old bastard. He, he's been salty since he was twenty. But uh, so much respect for Willie and and like what he's helped me do in my career. You know, because he he's always stood by me. And Willie's, I respect that guy in a way that. Dude, he'll just call it how it is. Yeah. You know That's people rare, that rare and that might be like offensive, but it's like listen, dude, your 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 feelings will heal. I promise you. <laughs> yeah, we need more we, we need more Willie McMillans in this. We do, this man. Game. It's, uh, Bring Willie back. It's just
1: a different generation where that that tone I think sometimes rubs some people the wrong way, but uh, I think you know Willie th- also th- thinks that people are like out to get him, but I'm like, dude, everybody fucking loves you, dude. Like, you know, that's another everybody. Thing. Loves Snow- snowboarding, snowboarding loves Willie McMillan. They do. Um, and with that being said, let's get into this guest question. Hey, bomb This is Willie McMillan, Bluebird Wax.
0: I got a question for my good buddy Mark Carter. <laughs> it's a two-part question. First part: Tell the listeners about the day that you went and had lunch at Elton John's house and your, uh, your good times with, uh, with Justin Timberlake. Um, the, the second part of this question is what was it like having little miniature Nick Drago as your, as your agent? Thanks bomb hole. Love you guys. Thanks Carter. Fuck you, Todd Richards.
2: <laughs> Adios great question huh. miniature driggle. oh I like wow it. wow willie geez man put me on the spot here uh yeah you know, like i said um i had uh my who's really good friends of mine still is rachel rachel Yarbrough, and, and we dated for a few years through the really tough times and uh we managed to like stay super good friends um but she gave me uh, a look into that world with justin that i you know coming from ten sleep to like Wimbledon was just crazy. Like we, we went on this crazy tour that summer. We first started dating. Justin was doing all this stuff overseas, flying private jets, like hanging out in France at the Giovanni store. And, uh, we ended up in London because he was doing Elton's blue tie and Tierra uh, benefit. And he was the special guest. And so I'll never forget, we had to go out there early because they had the sound check and that like dinner, they had this, it was out in Windsor and it was like this crazy big venue they'd built on like, it was like one of like King Henry's estates, it, but Elton's estate is sick. I mean, you could imagine. Uh, so we roll up into Elton's place. Justin has to go do the sound check and stuff at the stage. So we roll up in the front of Elton's house. We're with his assistant. And there's this like l- like 15 foot statue of Kate Moss doing like the scorpion, porcelain scorpion in the front. You drive around. I was like, whoa, okay, cool. And I brought my skateboard because I was just like, I wanted to get some exercise. I had been eating like fish and chips for four days. I was like, man, I just want to go sweat. And so got my skateboard and the, the guy's just like, you could just leave that here. I was like, okay, I left it in the trunk and waiting for Rach. Walk up to the front door, door opens and I'm just like waiting. It's like, oh, Elton, John in his like white adidas jumpsuit with this like rose circular shades i'm like "Ah, right on uh i'm elton i'm mark Shook his hand and then just kind of proceeded to hang out he was so hospitable hung out with him all day at his estate he gave us a tour of the house um just spent the day with him and his butlers and we had we had lunch with him and his husband and uh uh it it was like it's a pretty surreal day i mean I, i I was never like an Elton John, like crazy Elton John fan, you know, but then I hung out with him and then I'm such a fan because that guy is integrity. Uh, he didn't have to be nice to me. I'm like, who who am I? Like the, you're like literally knighted by the, the Queen of England and in, it just opened his home up to us and we just hung out for the day. And uh, then I remember we got into the evening and that was when the, the party went down over there. And it was actually the day Michael Jackson died, straight up. Because I remember we were backstage, about Justin was about to go out, and they all got the news that Michael had passed. And it was like they were all connected with Michael, like Johnny Wright was like married to Michael's cousin. And it was just crazy. I'm just like I'm like literally in this moment with these people. This is crazy shit. Um, and then went outside stage with all like. When we were watching the people walking into the blue tie and tiara ball, it's like you recognize everybody because everybody's like a list from fucking Keith Richards to like, I mean, everybody. You're just like, oh, 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 cool, cool. All right. I know. Okay. And so I got to sit side stage literally 20 feet from Elton on his piano rocking the house. And that was probably something I'll never forget. I was just like, okay. Uh, I'll remember this the rest of my life. This was pretty amazing. And then Justin went out and just it destroyed it too. People were freaking out. And then we, you know, we got the, got to hang out and, and meet some people. And, um, it was a crazy experience in my life. You know, uh, that, that world is just so foreign to me, but it was, it was cool. It gave me a perspective of in snowboarding. I thought I was pretty hot shit. And then I was like, Oh dude, you're no matter how famous you are, you're not famous. Like humility is like key. <laughs> so, um, yeah, man, that was, that was some crazy times, but that was when I, that was right before the fucking wheels fell off and my life uh, changed forever. So it all happens for a reason. You know, it was like the peak culmination of fame to just face plant overshooting the the kicker. Uh, and then yeah, Nick Drago, uh, yeah, Nick, you know, Nick came in and he was like friends with everybody and Nick's a, Nick's a great person, man. Like he's, I, I love Nick. And, but you know, it's like one of those things when you, when you work with friends, it's probably not the best thing. And, uh, I'd had all these contracts coming right from like the natural selection of us momentum. So Nick, you know, he knew everybody. And so I just threw Nick into the mix. I was like, yeah, just manage everything. And, you know, it, it just, it didn't really <laughs> work out. He, we did it for like, we limped it for like two or three years. And then there was kind of a blow up, but like, we're, we're totally on good terms now, but I mean, much respect for Nick and everything he's done in the industry. Cause like, I have nothing bad to say about him, but it was just like, I wasn't a pro snowboarder and he wasn't an agent. So like, we were both like this odd couple.
1: Uh, and it is it, it just, yeah, it was all good. It's all good. That's killer. Um, I kind of want to pivot back to what we were we were just talking about earlier too, thinking about all this all this stuff that you went through and you know this adversity that you faced, and now you you finally like you round this corner and from the way I see it, you are just like, okay, like fucking shit hit the fan. I I have my life. I, mean, I don't have to be in jail. <laughs> Things are good. I'm just going to fucking be me. I don't give a shit about this anymore. And it's so fascinating how, like, how just you being you has led you to the best place you are in your career, it seems like at age 41, uh, by just kind of like doing what you're into and being what you're into. And, and I was kind of wondering even more so is would Carter Country Meets have started had this situation not happened?
2: Probably not probably not you know that was an outlet um I, I don't think a lot of this stuff would happen without that you know like like i said i was complacent you know like you get to a place in your life where you think everything and that's just life man like you're cruising through like everything is going good and shit where well, they say life happens shit's hard man like and i think everybody can can relate to that over this past couple of years shit's been hard but it's like I have to put it all in perspective, man. It's you choose to be happy. You choose to wake up happy. And like, you might have to like get, find the smallest little like glimmer of positivity in the morning. You're like, wake up. And if you've ever had an injury, you're like, well, I'm healthy. I can walk today or like, okay, I'm getting a paycheck. Kind of like you got to like break it down and have perspective of like, it could always be worse. Mm-hmm. Like don't always have a, a, a an outlook of eh, poor me, fuck all this. You know, like you can find positivity in anything. There's always a silver lining in everything that happens. And I think, but that's so hard, you know, especially when you're depressed or down, it's like, Oh yeah. It's so easy for you to say, you know, but like I went through that shit, man. Like I, like I know, but and there was d- darkness that came over me and man, I had to find the light. And I think just your your mental state and like reading and consuming positive things, you know, when you're in a bad place, like the worst thing you can do is go look at Instagram and what, how everybody else is faking how fucking good their life is. It's bullshit. It's bullshit. Like all that social media is bullshit. Like if you think that's reality, man, go out, stand outside. They say how bad this world is. They say how bad this country is. Go outside and go talk to people. It's not, you know, it's perspective, man. And and the people pulling the strings want everybody to be pissed. I was like, you divide and conquer. I'm like, man, we are like, I fucking love this country, man. Like for me to to come up and be a pro snowboarder and get paid to do this shit, like I can only speak for myself. But I know a lot of people that have had a lot of struggle and have been able to, to come to a place in their life where they were like happy. Mm-hmm. Like I grew up. I grew up on the ranch. Our, our, our hired hand, Lupi Murado and, and Bertha, like the, he left home in Mexico when he was 10 years old. He was kicked out of his house. Mm-hmm. Like this guy had nothing like a 10 year old little boy. He migrated to, to the U S and was able to like make a life and a really good life. I still have uh he was our hired hand for 25 years. The hardest working person I've ever met in my life. His hands were, were rocks. Mm-hmm. Like this guy would just, Crush your hand. I mean, and he was tough. He grew up fighting. He had knife scars on him. Like, you would to talk about, like, a hard life. But he didn't let that get him down. He just, like, kept pushing. He's like, Marcos. He always called me Marcos or Gonzalez, you know. And uh, I had so much respect for his outlook when he had nothing. Mm -hmm. And I look at him now, and I go out there and have lunch with him, and he's just so happy. But he chose. He chose all of it because he could have just laid down. And given up, he had every excuse to, but he just refused. So, and that's so easy to say, you know, and I, I don't want to come off like, Hey man, like just be happy. Cause it's fucking hard. Like, especially when you're in a dark place, but like you have to maybe dig really deep to find something positive, but just start there. You just got to start somewhere. You just got to get that spark of positivity. Don't consume the bullshit. Like read a good book, Write. Mm-hmm. That's what always helped me, man. Like I read the mind gym e yep. EJack
1: got me on that. Same. I read his interview. Got mine, Jim. It's so good. EJack. jack Shout yeah. out to EJack. jack Let's give him an air horn. Yeah. And we've probably sold 100 of those plus from this podcast because we get DMs all the time. And we it's talk e- about it? Yeah. And- it's easy reading too. And yeah. it's
2: like, oh man, like you just read that
1: and you're like, oh. Mm-hmm. It's just well, well the, you know, it's an interesting one too. To, okay, Ryan Holiday is a great author. I've, I've consumed all of his books and he, he has a great point about basically... All right, we if you say if somebody's on a diet and they say, "Oh, I'm I'm vegetarian, I'm not going to eat that," you're like, "Oh, cool." But we also have like a media diet, like the what we oh. consume is a media diet. What? How does that make me feel? But if you're like, "Well, I don't bring my phone to dinner, or I don't consume, I don't follow Instagram pages that fucking like basically talk about like shit going on in the <laughs> media that's news that's bad or whatever," people are like, "Wait, what? Well, you're fucking ignorant or whatever it is." But still, yeah, I'm just saying that like you can you can you should regulate your intakes the same way. Like it was a great point that I thought was it's made. it's your mental
2: diet. It's like you, if we're t- if we're really talking about diet, like it's physical and mental. Yeah, it's like eat healthy, consume healthy shit, mm-hmm. be better. Like if you're just gonna digest everybody else's opinion, like oh yeah. man, you're gonna go to a dark spot. And I, you know, we all deal with. It. I feel sorry for the younger generation that's just been brought up on this is the norm, you know, just looking at your phone. I I walk through an airport. There's no human connection, man. Like nobody's smiling. Nobody's talking Mm -hmm. to each other. Everybody's so scared of each other. And they're all on their phones, just like living this. It's not even reality. It's like consuming this, like, and and like, what does Instagram or Facebook benefit us? It benefits them way more, you know? And it's like, it's addictive. And I'm, I'm addicted to my phone, just like everybody else is. It's so easy. But man, like I, I just look back at my life through this, there's what are, this pandemic and everything that's happened. And man, I came into it with a positive, a positive outlook. And I mean, the light in my, the light in my world is meeting my, my fiance, Bailey, man, she came in, like we met so randomly mm-hmm. and she's just like, so wise beyond her years, but she's been such a rock for me and just like checks me. Like when I'm like, Eh, you know, maybe she's like, what are you talking about man? Suck it up. Like she's tougher than me and mm-hmm. she's just like lives it authentic and uh, I, And it's so random. I never thought i'd get married man. Like I mm-hmm. i've never met anybody. I was like that's her and I'm 40 man. I, I've had a lot of girlfriends like being a pro snowboarder doing that life uh, But it didn't fulfill me man. It was empty It was really empty until I met her and when I met her I was just like holy cow I'm in for one here. And I, I randomly just proposed to her. I was just like, I knew it's like, I was back in my same cycle of habits being selfish pro snowboarder. Uh, and she just kind of called me out and I was like, what am I doing, dude? And I was just like, went in the kitchen. And I was just like, Will you marry me. She's like, yeah. So I was like, <laughs> no ring or anything. I was just like, that's what's up. You know, I think if I'd uh, overthought it, it had been, it had been scary, but just like being able to work with her and my family and and, and truly being a, in a happy place, um, having that support. I mean, every man needs a good woman by his side, you know, and I think vice versa, we balance each other out. And um, that, or a partner, whatever, what, whatever you're into, man, yeah. like I think you need a beautiful partner by your side that's going to support you and, and add to your life. And um, that really changed my life and gave me perspective, more perspective. Yeah, I was like, maybe I want kids. I got a
1: dog, so shit. there you go. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like you, then you got a free, free work hand once on the ranch, you know, oh, you know man, it's, it's cheap labor. Right well, so she's bad. like a
2: hand too, man. Like I, I had her out there with my dad, you know, she broke her shoulder riding Bronx this summer. She's on this kick of like riding ranch Bronx. And I mean, she go down, she's not afraid. She is like, when it comes to horses, she has a beautiful way of moving around animals and breaking them. She's lived in Argentina and broke crazy spanish horses down there and just lived on ranches but she she never did it for the money i mean she's never she never gets paid you know like just loves the experience you know her life is built around experiences and i she's like i want to ride ranch bronx this summer i was like girl who am i to tell you not to do something dangerous it's like i'll support you and she went to these rodeos, and they were putting her. And like I will tell you, these like these male stock contractors do not want to see females getting into it. And they'd put her on these rank, mean horses, just airmail her. I was like, oh. And then uh, I sent her down to Tyler, Texas, to uh, a ranch Bronx clinic where I thought she'd get like they wouldn't put her on something that would kill her, get a little little more, a little more experience. And dude, this horse. Like, this, this video, it made, like, girls getting, or, like, the girls a record. They made one of those crazy Instagram, because it, it, like, literally looked like it killed her. This horse comes into this fence, bucks out. She's on for five seconds, and it just turns and kicks her right into a metal fence. Just uh, I was shit, broke her scapula. So she's still healing from that. And then, so I have her down in the desert riding, a like, a pretty green colt and uh, sorting crazy cows with my dad. She's just right there, smile on her face. I'm just like, that's that's her. I love you, Bailey. So, uh,
1: yeah, tough. Yeah, that's awesome. That's yeah. really cool to hear. Yeah. Um, and uh, one thing I've just been thinking about as you're talking, to you spend a lot of time in these mountains, and the, our audience, so many of them are, are snowboarders and stuff. And uh, what, do you, what are, you know, to kind of keep it short and, and highlighted, what are your three best bits of advice maybe actionable advice for for Mm. people navigating these mountains covered in snow that that can be real dangerous
2: yeah i would say you know knowledge first you you, i would say go get your avi one learn like learn uh have partners you trust like like just don't don't be overconfident because these mountains will squish you you know listen to the signs, listen to all the red flags. There's so much information out there. Uh, the Utah Abbey is amazing. Listen to that, but get knowledge before you start getting, con- you know, get, get a little confidence in it. But for me, it was like, all of that was great. But like having the people that mentored me was probably most important. Like having Gooch, man, like, I'm so grateful to have that guy to just teach me like how to navigate these mountains. And and listening to your gut. And that was all his, his experience, you know, passed down from Craig and, and that wealth of knowledge. It's like who you go out with. And I, I see a lot of ego in the mountains, you know, and and that, that worries me because it's no place for ego. She doesn't care, you know, how, how good you are or how, how, how good you think you are. It's just, it's all about the decisions you make because man, you might come home, but like, your friends might not and i i don't know how you live with that so i would say there's a lot of preventative things you can do if you're not feeling it don't do it you know and i think that's true being a true pro is being able to pull pull out of something feeling something you know you've you've put and i find myself doing it you you put so much effort into this line or this shot you've put two days of breaking trail and you're standing on top of this line but there's something off and you're not your guts telling you, man, and, and pulling away and maybe disappointing your whole crew, your film crew, or whatever you'd set up. It's like, dude, I don't, I don't care about the shot. It's about, it's about walking away, you know? And like, there's another day we can come ride, Um, regardless of the work let's just count our losses. But I think uh, don't ever force it. And I think that that's, what's gotten me to this place, you know? Um, And then being able to take people out that are a little greener than i and getting into that that's a very stressful situation so i'm very conservative with my decisions um just like this winter i uh mary rand was out with me and she's freaking awesome love mary and she you know we got her into some spicy stuff for my for the project you know and then eric leon showed up and and i mean i threw him to the wolves he hadn't been on a snowmobile in like four years and it was literally like the techest biggest hill climbs I did all year and I'm I'm seasoned man I, I was like in shape and dude Eric just stepped up and he was calm cool collected and we got into big lines and I was I was pretty confident with the snowpack and and it was successful and it felt great you know but uh it didn't happen overnight it was just like that slow roast that slow burn to to having the confidence into doing that so um yeah man don't force
1: it. All right, it's time to talk about the bomb hole of the week. Now, Buds, what is ZipTec and why do you need it?
0: Ziptec is basically going to turn your jacket and pant into a one-piece suit. And the way it does that is on the powder skirt, there's a zipper that connects to your pants. It's patented. Volcom's the only people that have it, and it keeps you dry.
1: Do you think Jamie Lynn and Brian Agucci use it? Dude, I
0: know they use it. Those guys don't fall much, but when they do, they use
1: ZipTec. Wow, okay, that's fantastic. Now, what kind of giveaway is going on here, buds?
0: What we need to see is your best bail, and let's keep them fun. It doesn't have to be powder, but let's see some powder. Let's also see some scorpions. Let's see some handrails. Hashtag Volcom Bombproof. Put your best bail on, in, bail on Instagram, and uh,
1: we're going to pick a winner. Absolutely. There's already been some amazing crashes that have rolled in. Uh, keep them rolling. And, again, what's the hashtag, buds? Volcom Bomb Proof. Upload it onto Instagram and you can win a little prize pack. Okay, let's take a second and take a quick break to talk to you guys about pub beer. Wow, that sounded crisp. That sounded refreshing. Now, Mark, I got to ask you uh, after a long day of ranching, how does uh, an ice cold uh, pub beer sound? I mean, I,
2: nothing's better. Just knock dust off you, you know, be good for you.
0: There you kick, go. Kick back, campfire, some brews. Why yeah. not?
1: If you're looking to do some ranching and absolutely crush can, be sure to get yourself some pub beer. It supports uh, the show. They support us. You should support them. With that, let's get into the crap shoot. Here we go. Cheap fun.
0: Welcome to the pub beer crap shoot.
1: All right, he's got two in front of him. All right, Mark, you roll oh. the, you roll these two dice. Oh, whatever it lands okay. on will tell you what you have to do. <laughs> dude, this seems dangerous Okay We're doing some gambling here Six Six What was the name on your fake ID? Tipton Peterson And it
2: was like this 27 year old blonde tall guy And it actually worked it crazy Qu-
1: Part two I like to ask sometimes <laughs> That's dope who, <laughs> Sometimes
0: who? you gotta get an idea that looks nothing like you And they look at it and they're like Yeah why not oh, yeah, dude. <laughs>
2: who's, your,
1: who's your favorite person to party with? <laughs>
2: Ooh Damn. Man, Willie. Willie. Willie McMillan. sounds dangerous. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. He always made really good decisions, so I like to follow.
1: All right. Well, while we're doing this, let's go ahead and hit the – let's talk about liquid death, buds. Let's do it. So liquid D, uh, I put down about, what, six of these things today? Yeah, I got a problem. Mm. Yeah, we might need to go to uh, rehab potentially for putting down that much. You can drink as much water as you want and don't Mm -hmm. have to go to rehab. That's great. It's water in a can. It looks like a beer. It baffles people. Um, I was talking to my girlfriend's mom the other day, and she was so, like, thrown off that I was drinking a water. She couldn't believe it. Um, so it's nice. A lot of times people think you're an alcoholic. Yeah, that's water in a benefits. can just blows people away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You get pulled over, uh, you're, the cop's going to want to give you a DUI, and you're going to have to say, no, sir, this is water. That's, uh, that's pretty empowering.
0: I don't know why either. It just tastes better out of a can.
1: It does. Couldn't it gets colder more. too. If you're looking at picking up some uh, liquid D, or Licky D, as Sage calls it, head on over to liquiddeath.com slash bombhole. Again, liquiddeath.com slash bombhole, and you'll get a few little koozies, and that helps us out a ton. They support the show. So, with that being said, let's get into the spinning wheel of death. Welcome to the liquid death. Death, death, death. Spinning wheel of death. Sorry, that was loud. Oh, okay. We'll face the camera so the camera can
2: see it. I just. Does it matter which way I spin? Nope. Either way. Okay. Oh, that's super
1: high quality. Is it stuck?
2: No, I just want to make sure it doesn't. Oh, that
1: was such a lame spin. Uh, Okay. Lasso bomb hole employee.
2: (sighs) I don't have a lasso. <laughs> is, it in the, is it in
1: the truck? Yeah, she drove we'll, away. We'll let, she's gonna come back to pick you up. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, we can do that. We'll, we a, can. we'll drop that okay. in. <laughs> 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 <laughs>
0: <laughs> Looks like I'm beef. <laughs> Got him. Dawes, what's for dinner?
1: Okay, we're going to take a second to talk to you guys about Rourke. Now, they have the Layover Pant Collection. These things are buttery. They are the original adventure Pant. Uh, It's designed for transit. They have oversized zipper pockets to fit your travel documents and keep them secure. The back phone pocket for convenience. They have laser perforated back panel for breathability. No ass sweat. You're going to get no ass sweat in these Bad Larrys. They have a full waistband drawstring that eliminates the need for a belt. They're TSA-friendly, less hold-up in the security line. I hate that when people take forever. Buds probably does that with his camera gear. These
0: sound like the best pants to travel in, period, right
1: here. And they have a two-way blended stretch fabric. Makes them super comfortable no matter how little legroom you have on the flight. Now, Carter, I know you've traveled a fair bit over the years. Uh, I know you've even flown private, but (laughs) what... And I don't think there's layovers on private jets. But uh what's your worst layover experience?
2: Oh. I got stuck in Calgary for like a day and a night one time in my sweatpants sleeping on my my board bag in that that airport. I don't know, man. It just wasn't that friendly. That was probably my worst layover experience. Yeah, nowhere to go. And it was late enough. Like, I got in late enough and I had to sleep there nothing open, and you're just hungry, and uh, yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: It's kind of a harsh go that they make you do that. Yeah. That yeah. is birthplace of the Caesar, though. Ooh. I would have went out in the town and enjoyed a Caesar if I was you, interested. But- I was
2: just afraid they wouldn't let me back in. I was just
1: trying to get home. Get home, <laughs> I don't blame you. Um. Yeah, another thing we should get into, I think, is uh, hot takes. Buds, what do you think? Let's do it. So we like to ask uh, who is the greatest of all time, in your opinion, on a snowboard? Who's the GOAT? Um, and we do both male and female. Who you got? Holy cow. Uh, I
2: mean, in my opinion, Kevin Jones.
1: Wow, love that <laughs>
2: Kevin Jones, uh, I think, uh, you know, what he's done... And just from my experience, the person he is, and, uh, I mean, he just didn't wreck. Like, he was so good. And I don't think he's ever been injured, you know? So, Kevin Jones, hands down for me. And then, I mean, I hate to put it together, but it's Tara Dikitas. Like, she's just, like, I like that. I like I like what she was doing, man. I, I like, look at her level of riding, and that was literally 15, 20 years ago. And I'm in the backcountry and I'm kind of like, What well, come on. Where's Tara? Bring her back. So
1: Okay, next question. Um, what is the worst trend in snowboarding? What do you got? Bad attitudes. <laughs> Solid answer. Great answer. Okay, if you could go heli boarding with three people, mm. who would you go with?
2: Ah, uh, Gooch, Terry, Jamie. Easy.
1: Solid answer. Uh lastly we like to talk about on the show the beaver slap now when you're in the lift line you got snow on your board are you a guy to kind of like flex alpha male you know just really give the board a good whack when you got snow on it? Or are you kind of a casual beaver slapper where are you at with the beaver slap
2: i like to kick the snow off on skiers as i'm going up the lift oh, so okay. it's kind of like you know i like to save it um mm-hmm. yeah so you're that, no, that no beaver we slap. haven't
1: got that answer you save it so when someone's skiing underneath save you you it. give them the little yeah, you save it Wow. Oops. That's oops, tight. oops. That's a degrading move. I've, I, when people get you with the snow and you're underneath them, it's a little bit degrading. Shh. I've been there before. I've been there with my
0: camera bag open <laughs>
1: and some skiers <laughs> got me.
2: I, I'm kind of my like, bad, I guess. Uh, but. I, I, you know, man, I like to, I like to walk the line and, and do things that I'm not supposed to do. So,
1: um, yeah. <laughs> well, sick dude. I, I, I want to pivot back into some of this other, the, this other stuff too, talking about, you know, you're, the way you move around these mountains and, And you're, you're just, you're a man of the land, man of the mountains. And, and I do think you, we were talking before you came to do the show when I was driving, we we had a conversation and, um, I think you just described maybe hunting as, as the natural progression of the outdoorsman. Yeah. I mean,
2: for me, for me, that is the natural transition, you know, and, and, you know, I can only go so far in snowboarding and, and, and what I've done in the mountains and like going into bow hunting and especially bow hunting, because it's so like, you're so connected. Like everything has to align to be successful. And as, as an outdoorsman, as somebody that wants to spend their entire life outdoors, like that is the natural progression for me. Like, you know, snowboarding's great, but I can only do that in the winter. And like, you can only get so much. It's not like I can feed myself like literally with a snowboard. Um, but with bow hunting you it's so much harder than snowboarding cuz you're going you're you're trying to outwit these animals that you, it's not even fair because their senses are so much more heightened they sleep out there every night they they're not just like vacationing in the outdoors they're like that's that's their element and so to kind of try to outwit it's like a chess game and to get close enough to to cut that distance and and be successful. And then all the time that goes into shooting my bow. So it's just involuntary, like to shoot it, you know, it's really hard. It's like this whole process of a a whole year of me shooting, 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 thinking until you are actually like close enough to, to get a shot at an animal and be successful. Cause the worst thing you you can do is get there and then wound something. So you have to put so much time in to your, to your bow and like that art of just shooting the bow and then everything from tracking to senses to like hearing to calling to you know i'm just talking about elk there's there's so many other other things you can hunt but um it's just like that that transition that transition that i want to master and if i'll ever master it but it when i'm on the path of like the ancient hunters and 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 you're walking in their shoes and like you know like you only have one problem when you're hungry right so it's just this like it's this extreme connection that you make and your senses are just so spot on and you're so aware of everything that's going on because you have to be open to everything that's happening. And, um, man, it's, it's a different feeling, you know, Mm -hmm. it's, it's something I, it's something that just, just fills my soul. You know, I feel so good and then walking and walking and walking in this, in this high country, in this beautiful country, uh, you just get an amazing shape. Like when you look at a mountain, you're like, I'll just walk up there. You're, you're just like literally in such good shape you're just like you, you just walk you walk anywhere you want with weight or whatever mm. and so that's truly the 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 best transition i've found not that i'm transitioning on a snowboard but like it complements each other there's a lot of parallels within it and uh you know to like hone my skills in the summer there's this thing called total Ar- archery challenge <clears throat> they actually do one in park city and Snowbird. yeah, yeah I heard that, about this. and i mean my fun, my friend Sean Degray puts it on. He's been doing it. They do a bunch of stops, but it's like basically walking around the resort and simulating it's the closest thing to simulating true hunting. You are taking these crazy shots, um, ranging, shooting, trying to hit through the trees and you lose arrows. And it's like there's consequences because an arrow is twenty bucks. You like explode a carbon arrow on a rock, you're like, and your confidence is up and down. But it really simulates and gets you get you prepared for these shots that you might take with like angles and through trees and uh, it's the best thing I found for, for what I do. Um, and I, I was just so fortunate to come into that world again through Yeti, you know, like opening those doors for me and um, Sloan, just really Sloan Brown. He's the guy, like the, the hunting coordinator, team manager. And he, he really brought me into like those things. And then Sean D gray. And I mean, it was funny. Cause like two years ago, I'm literally up I got an extended season archery tag for park city mm-hmm. with through Yeti and like Sean, I was hunting with Sean and Sloan and I was, was hu- like hiking the, the East mountains from Brighton, like chasing some elk around with my bow, like in like 18 inches of snow, l- like looking at Brighton, I was like, Holy cow. I'm like, I've shredded there. Now I'm hunting here. Saw this huge mountain line up there. got to watch it. And, uh, it was just, it was just cool. I mean, you know, it was like, it was just kind of connecting those dots. So, I don't know. That's that's what it's all about.
1: Yeah, that's killer. Now I, I noticed that there's so many so many people that are you know where where we live and and especially especially the younger generation that are, that are diehard um, vegetarians and and vegans and they're gonna be they're gonna probably turn this off and not listen to it to yeah. be honest. But and that's <laughs> absolutely totally fine. But I think there's also some misconceptions, and I also respect that that's what, what they're into personally. I think it's fucking of course awesome. it's awesome. Now. Um, but I think you're, since you're so knowledgeable about hunting and, and, you know, this, and the meat industry for that matter, um, I would kind of like you to sell me on hunting, like sell on some of the positive things that people don't see where the, where the money goes when you pay to hunt, um, you know, thing, yeah. things of that nature. I mean, there's no other group of people
2: that put, or put more money into conservation than hunters. You know, they will put their money where their mouth is. They they pay for the tags they put money directly into sustaining these herds and building these herds. And it's managed in a way that, you know, you have to manage animals. You there's not the natural predators there used to be. And so I think it's such a beautiful thing to to put the money into conservation of these animals and have these experiences with your kids and with your grandfather and hunting. It's it's like more than just the money. It's like these, uh, these life lasting Mm -hmm. experiences. And I see a lot in the industries, like the snow industries, it's like, yeah, you go buy a jacket with whoever preaching how good they're doing. And it's like, yeah, I'm not going to, I don't rely upon somebody else to, to like put their money into something that I believe in. It's like so easy to like, be like, well, I bought this jacket and they're doing this for whatever uh, climate change or whatever it may be. But I'm like, well, these guys are like, directly paying for the animals they're directly putting their money where their mouth is Mm -hmm. and so that that's like mad respect you know and and it's it's really demonized and i think it's just misunderstood Mm -hmm. those guys aren't out there to just like kill shit it's like it's a way of life and if you if you really preach healthy living and healthy eating like there's nothing
1: there's nothing more, more free-range than a than than n- elk or there's nothing more free-range organic than an elk. Yeah,
2: okay. and it's not like I go to the store and buy something. I mean, we all have to do that. But when you put a year into your discipline and you become you, you're successful with your hunt and you process your own animal and you're literally like I processed my whole elk last year and I cut it steaks, ground burger and made jerky and I'm like literally out there last winter mm-hmm. eating jerky that that I'd made myself and hunted. I put a year of hard work and dedication and discipline into this. And the, the feeling you get is just something you can't replicate through buying anything. Yeah. And so, you know, I I don't think hunting's for everybody. I really don't. Like if like you really have to be connected and I'm not saying that it feels good to kill something. Like I always have a moment of like, sadness if i take down this beautiful animal but this animal is going to feed me and my family you know and all the work that i had done to get to this point that's what i'm here to do Mm -hmm. and uh, like killing for me like i grew up on a ranch like death is so normal to me like being around animals like i've seen things die i've had dogs die i've had everything terrible deaths like i'm I'm normal like but it never felt good like never feels good to see something die but nothing hurts my heart more than seeing something suffer. And I will like put something out of its misery like that, like seeing a wounded deer or something along the road, like, man, like suffering to me is just like, Oh, that just kills me. So at a young age, I learned how to, you know, dispatch something. So
1: a couple, and then a couple other sidebars I was just thinking about too. And, and, uh, on, on this subject too, is, I, I want to say the statistic, I don't know if this is correct, you could fact check this, but I want to say 90% of the money raised to protect most wild game is raised by the hunters, you know, and so. Probably. And, and I know that's that's for some animals. I don't know if that's for everyone, but I've read that statistic somewhere before. And then the other thing I think is fascinating too is there's an argument about, um, you know, meat being kind of uh, destroying the carbon footprint and, and things like that and like really being... Bad for the greenhouse gases and all those things. And, and, and I think that factory farming is a, is a factory like those giant those mm. giant factory farm animals where they pump, pump them full of shit. Absolutely. There, mm. There's no argument there. But when you take, a, take an elk, for example, that, that walks around the wilderness, eats the, eats the grass, eats the shrubs... Shits on the soil; it raises the soil. When the soil levels are raised, that actually reverses the greenhouse gases. So, so when you when you actually kill your own animal, you're not you're not in any way contributing to any of that carbon footprint. So, the misconceptions of that, I think, is just an important thing to talk about.
2: Yeah, there's a lot of misconceptions. I mean, regenerative agriculture, I think, could save the world. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not like we have millions of buffalo roaming the lands anymore. And if you understand how the animals can, it's all a symbiotic relationship within it, the cycle and, and, and cows if managed properly are really good for the land. You know, they, their, their, their hooves are made to sow seeds. You're like everything's built. Like nature was built to like work and like you can't outthink that. Like we all think we can outthink it and be these gods. And I'm like, no, like just, we have to go back to nature to survive. And I think when we start talking about all these other things and there's so many bullet points that all these companies want to like press on to like push their agenda or whatever it may be. And that's fine. But like you can't count out the other side of it. Like there's two sides and like, I just want to know the truth. I don't care. I think politics and anything is bullshit to me. I'm just like, how has everything gotten so fucking political? Like that kills me. I was like, Oh, it's political. So let's just divide everybody. And Mm -hmm. And I'm like, it's not a, it's not a political thing. I was like, once it becomes political, you guys are literally puppets for the the fucking man. And I'm just like, uh, okay. That turns me off. I mean, what politics don't turn people off, you know? And like, I just find politics in everything now. It's like, it's even in snowboarding. I'm like, why can't we have one place where everybody's just invited to have a good time? Let's not fucking push politics. And, you know, and maybe you know whatever. If you want to talk politics, that's fine. But I, I I learned two things when I was young: don't talk religion and don't talk politics at dinner. It's pretty easy. But I see everybody just like talking politics and religion. I'm just like, okay, well, there's a reason we're not getting along, and it goes back to like follow the money.
1: So I don't know, man. But like going back to regenerative agriculture, you're on a pretty good bit. I feel like about that.
2: Yeah, I mean regenerative agriculture. I think these animals. Can can help, and I and I totally understand like the feedlots in in these big uh these big footprints, and I think like uh monocropping, like monocropping, like it's really bad, really bad for our environment. I mean, I think a third of the emissions come from monocropping, and it's government subsidized shit, corn, all these things that you know if turned back into into like the natural lands with the the, the healthy microbes in the soil, like that sequesters carbon. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I think that could really change the tide for the world. Yeah. But, um, and, and we originally like North Face, uh, we were going to do a regenerative, uh, glove with them. And that's kind of, it, it's been put to the back burner just because everything has kind of been crazy in the past two years, but they see it, you know, uh, working through the savory Institute and like how all the soils work and how it's all like you know, back to nature, I think it's the most important thing. And we can't forget that like artificial is good. And I think there's certain places for it, but like, you know, all I've ever, ever known is like the only truth is in nature. And the rest is kind of the stories we just tell ourselves like nature never lies. Like it's intentions are there, like animals their it's intentions are there. And I think if we really dig into that, um, and I'm not a I'm not a scientist, you know. A lot of these things I've just I've read up and I've seen in with my own two eyes. But I think that you know th- there's space for that. And you know, like <clears throat> I see a lot of fires burning, and I don't hear anybody talking about why the fires are burning. And yes, there we are we are in climate change. Like I totally agree with that. But you know, forestry management has a lot to do with fires burning. You know, like if you have a lot of animals like uh, coming in and, and like eating all the, the underbrush and all this, the, you know, like when you have three foot grass, like you have a crazy fire starter, like that stuff grows and grows and grows I mean, a spark gets in there. You're going to have fires like you've never seen. And it, in our history, there was never that. We, we always had animals eating the underbrush and it was just forestry management, a lot of it, you know? And, um, I think that that needs to be talked about more, you know, and, and, and they're acknowledging it, you know, <clears throat> but, It's it's not just a one sided thing. It's not it's not black or white. It's not you can't just put it all in a box. There's so many layers, but we have to look at it from every direction Mm -hmm. in order to have the truth and actually make a difference. Because if we're just looking at from one side, like you know, you're leaving the other side out. Yes. You know. So
1: I don't know. It's just kind of one of those things. Another sorry, or sorry to pivot. I yeah, agree with you on that too. But one one thing too. So let's say. Let's say we, someone's listening and they're they're like, okay, I want to I want to get into I want to eat better I mm-hmm. want to I want to put better food into my body. Why should they support Carter Country Meats? Sell me on that.
2: Well, I mean, you can buy direct from the rancher. Um, you buy from people that are actually living it and working it, and uh, it's super important. And, and like I go back to like knowing where your food comes from is knowing who makes your food. And I think a lot of that disconnect is within the the food industry and you know, that meat comes from the ranch, comes from my brother. My brother's fully running the Carter Country Meats now. And, um, I know the practices and, and I know that how the animals are treating and I know how it tastes. So it's, it's great to support your local rancher. Even Carter Country Meats is great, but I mean, you can find, if you do your research, you can find local ranchers within your community that you can support. There's a lot of people, there's a lot of these little things popping up. A lot of these little ranchers are understanding that, you know, people don't want the commodity. It's like, it's a difference between commodity, like, you know, a locally sourced bread or locally sourced meat compared to like, you know, Wonder Bread. You know, it's like, you can just eliminate the commodity. And the minute we all start understanding that and sourcing locally or regionally, then we can kind of change the tide with all that. And then maybe the ranchers and the farmers can start making money again. But until that, those guys, like the slaughterhouses, um, you know, 84% of, of the, the commodity slaughterhouses in the U S are owned foreign, you know? And so they have like, they're just pulling the strings. They can just like have the ranchers at bay. They, I remember when we first started uh, the company, uh, they changed the regulation to, they there used to be a, a product or like country of origin on a meat package, like Uruguay or Brazil but all these companies have come in it's just all shyster it's all bureaucracy and they've come in and they deregulated that so in order that basically meant that it all this meat coming from South America from all these other countries i think there's 19 other countries that import meat we literally in the us we do not need to import any beef we have plenty of beef but there's money to be made so they started importing all this beef they go to these big slaughterhouses owned by these super shysters. And then, uh, they process their country, uh, product of the USA. I mean, that's just, that's common. You can look it up and that's basically undercutting all the ranchers here. And then what that really caused is, you know, we're all mad about all these rainforests getting burned down in South America and all these countries is because, well, they're making room for more agriculture. Cause there's lots more, you know, there's money to be made. So you can't blame these guys. They're make, they're clearing land to grow cattle, and so this it's just like this really bad cycle. And um, until you know, until the representatives like I don't know aren't lining their pockets. Yeah, they're making too much money. Yeah, to their pockets are heavily lined. And, 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 and that's what it all comes to. It's like follow the money. Like if you want to know the truth, follow the money.
0: And fish, they still put whether it's from huh? but a beef and chicken, no, they don't have to. No,
2: no, I don't know about chicken. All I know about is beef. beef. But I mean, literally, like it's
0: they'll send in the full cow and sub- process it at the slaughterhouse
2: they might name me full cows they'll probably be subprimals and then yeah. cut them and then, and then
1: cut them. yeah but products for the usa so you're li- you're basically lying no to your idea. consumer yeah so the the moral of the story is support your local rancher Sup- support your local farmer How yes. much more
0: expensive is it to support the local rancher for a guy the average guy
1: I mean, for
2: the long run, it's not, it's, it's not. like, it's a, what's going to save us. Like we are literally on a path of like destruction with this whole mess. And it's just, people are making money, you know, P- and I, and I just, I don't understand the greed over integrity that, that really kills me. I'm like, well, you're not going to have anything left for your kids, but you're going to be rich. And what are you going to do with your money? It's like, you're like, what are we doing? You know, and it's, uh, until these people are held accountable until people like understand and and do the work into like the, the research into like knowing where their food comes from. I mean, we live you guys live in amazing food. Like here, like you can get peaches, you can get everything in salt Lake, like source everything here. There's ranchers, there's, you can get anything, but you know, it makes no sense for me to see beef shipped all the way from South America processed and then shipped all over the U S when you have beef right here. And we talk about our carbon footprint. Like, what's that carbon pr- footprint? Mm-hmm. You know, like, we're talking about all these things that people are so passionate about, but you don't hear anything about that. You're shipping your meat all over. Like, there's chicken companies that ship the chickens to China to get processed because it's cheaper than processing here, and they ship them back. Whoa. And I'm like, uh, like what, what, are we, what are we doing, guys? Like, that's, you know, because it's money. It's cheaper. Margins. Yeah. And when, it, when it's all based on numbers, like, so many things are. Um it just gets messy man and uh, people don't want to talk about it. You know it, it's, a, it's like- you
1: know it's a great uh a great anecdote to cuz eating eating healthy and eating locally it is expensive. There's yep. no arguing that. But eating lo- eating local and eating healthy is you know what's more expensive is, is hospital bills. It's yes. Like eating healthy is expensive Hospital bills are significantly more expensive. And if you start looking at it like that, like it's, it's those are your two options. You can eat healthy or you can pay hospital bills. The eating healthy in, in through that lens starts to make a little more sense.
2: Well, and you look at it from a point of like you're supporting like your local community. Mm -hmm. You're not supporting these like guys you, you would probably not sit down and have dinner with. Your local farmer, you're going to get along with this guy. He's a hardworking. Good family man generally and and, and I, I heard the statistic, no scientist, but I believe it was like in the in the seventies or way back, it was like uh eighteen percent of our paycheck was spent on food, and nine percent was spent on medical bills. That has switched a hundred percent eighteen percent is on medical bills, nine percent on food. Mm. people are love to buy cheap food. it looks good, tastes good, does it make you feel good you know uh, it's tricky, man. And and what I see, I, I what they feed the kids in school is is like, what? We tried to sell our beef to a school district one time. Um, and you know, I think we sell uh beef for four four ninety-eight a pound. And they were literally buying the school district, their contract was eighty-eight cents a pound. So I can tell you what kind of cows you're getting for eighty-eight cents a pound. They'll basically be scooping the slime off the floor of the slaughterhouse putting it in that's what you're feeding your kids and i'm like do you care because i have a hard time with that you know and it's just unfortunate because i talked to my dad about when he was a kid dude they would like anything they got like if an animal got poached or something their game ward would bring it to the school and the cooks would cook the food for the kids but you can't sell wild game in the states like any elk anything you see is product of new zealand or it's all shipped in there's no there's no like wild game other than maui nui I think is this venison company out of Maui that's now selling access door access deer USDA process to the U S now, which is h- a huge, huge deal. So I want to see more of that.
1: Mm-hmm. Super interesting. That a great perspective from somebody who's got boots on the ground and, and has seen this shit up close yeah. and, and so we, I mean, we've fucking, we've been kind of beating this dead horse for a while <laughs> talking about, but I'm personally fascinated and and people don't like it, they will, they'll turn it off. <laughs> but, um, going back, let's, let's kind of pivot back into some snowboarding stuff. Yeah. Cause I know you got some, you got some cool stuff going on. You got a new project. What's up with the new project?
2: Yeah. Yeah. So we, uh, we started filming two years ago, just kind of, uh, in the dark, you know, it's like kind of what snowboarders are supposed to do. I'm supposed to have a filmer. So my friend, Fred, uh, Fred Norquist, he we we got him a, on retainer with Yeti and we filmed for a whole season it had an epic season and uh, so coming into this season we were trying to figure out what to do and then I was talking to Sean and Asher and they're like well let's just like roll into another season and make a project so that's what we did we rolled in we got some amazing sponsors to to support us and we it's called Rangefinder and it's basically kind of uh, my philosophy and Gucci's philosophy in life and has some some heavy hitting riding and some good just general philosophy of life and how, how we want to live. Uh, beautifully shot. Um, beautifully edited by Asher. And, yeah, uh, I think the writer list is like me, Gooch, uh, Mary, Eric. Sage has a heater part. You know, thank, thank God we have Sage in there to do some double flips and such. <laughs> um, and Pat Moore. So it was just kind of a mismatch riders, but it was kind of just who I, who I spent the past two years spending time with in the mountains. And that will be dropping, I believe, we go on premiere tour first two weeks of November, uh, San Diego, Venice, and then Austin on the 9th. And then we're actually in Salt Lake on the 11th, Denver, 12th or 13th. I mean, there'll be a schedule up, but uh, and then the, the, it drops online across all platforms, I think the f- middle of December. So pretty stoked, pretty stoked on it. I didn't really plan on doing a whole project by myself because that is such a pain in the ass, mm-hmm. but we had the footage to, uh, to jumpstart it. So I was like, ah, let's do it again.
1: <clears throat> and last winter was tough, man. So is it, is, it, is there, there's, it's kind of doc style and mix was writing.
2: Yeah. It's a lot of riding, um, a lot of doc, but I really focused on, um, just what I like to do in writing, you know, and, and it wasn't all just like hammer, 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 and there's some crazy riding, but. Um, we spent a couple like we spent some time at pine creek a little resort riding with and then I spent um, a, We did a trip in in Metalark with with charlie hicks, man you guys will get to see charlie in there just
1: uh, Riding with us in the stoke. So um, Yeah, i'm happy dude. I know you've been doing so well navigating the the sponsors these days What's the sponsor list looking like?
2: Oh, man. I got them memorized. I think so I, I am so fortunate to have just such a list of amazing people supporting me, and it starts with Arbor Snowboards, the North Face, Smartwool, Yeti, Traeger Grills, Daneson Toothpicks, Protec Supplements. They make sunscreen too. They're awesome. Veteran-owned. Black Rifle Coffee. Those guys are another one that I'm like love those guys. Ranch Rider Spirits sported the project in a big way. Hana One Supplements, um, Danes and Toothpicks, Thank you, Oakley for goggles and Vans for boots. All you milkers over there, and uh, yeah, I think that kind of rounds out the list. If I forgot you, I am sorry. Holy shit. So Drago is did he
1: get you all those deals? Or <laughs> <laughs> that's a lot of deals. Ari Gold, your agent, or who's yeah, the who agent? Is your agent? <laughs> <laughs> I'm my own agent, so
2: that works. I think having that personal relationship, they can't cut me. We have
0: a, we a we Patreon a question. Hit it.
1: Hey, first Tucker of all, explain Zink. why the Patreon's so important, Bud.
0: Patreon basically keeps the lights on in here for us. So without your support, we would be nothing. Join the community, Chris and I will. You uh, get a chance to call in to our new show, ABU. You get merch. I mean, get behind the
1: scenes look at what we're doing. It's mm-hmm. basically
0: uh, just joining the bombhole family, yeah. and we really appreciate you guys. Patreon. This is from Tucker Zink. What's the story behind your constant toothpick chewing? Ever have a close call with one?
2: You know, I get that question a lot. Um, the The toothpick came from my oral fixation with Copenhagen, so I had to ditch the Copenhagen. Found the love in the toothpick, and uh, no, I don't have close calls, man. This thing's this thing's just another extension of my body at this point.
0: You snowboard with it? Oh yeah, oh, yeah. just all the time. Hundred percent. I mean,
2: I'll take it out and stick it in my hat if it's something super spicy, like if I'm wedge? filming cheese wedge. Oh yeah, sticking in the
1: hat. Dude. Okay,
2: I, I'm not okay. taking any chances. I'll sometimes I'll forget when I'm riding a line and have it in, but. Like Jackson Hole ripping the resort, mm-hmm. um, yeah, man. And Daneson. those guys like they make the best lumber in the business. So uh, those guys are amazing. But
0: guys got a toothpick sponsor. Yeah, too. Wow,
1: that's killer. Yeah. Uh, another thing too, uh, we love knowing about people's setups. You know, when you you probably, I'm assuming you have a, a quiver. What's your What's your main setup? How do you set it up? What's your angles? Board, boots, bindings.
2: Uh, board is is my model over at Arbor, uh, the Arbor Clovis. And then I have my my Cypress model with them as well, binding. And then um, I was rolling the van's Taxwood last year, which were out Taxwood. Those are those are the best boots I've ever ridden. Um and I, I went back to lace because, you know, snowmobiling, the boa. I, I hate breaking my boas. So yeah, man. And they, what about edges and, and forward lean you rock with any? <clears throat> I don't mess with my edges cuz we got the uprise fender so I don't need to detune and then
0: What's the uprise fender?
2: Uh it's basically on contact points. I got a 3 degree bevel on gotcha. each contact point so it just kind of helps with float and then not contacting the like the groomers and stuff That's and then nice. my setup's about uh my width is about 22.5 and then my angles 18 front, 12 back and then forward leans like two clicks on the front like or clicks on the back mm. so Definitely. oh yeah two more sponsors uh bluebird and remind love you guys <laughs> Almost forgot Bluebird, willie. <laughs> oh, <Willie>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so willie was gonna say you son of a bitch <laughs> i like to i like
1: to leave him in the dark a little yeah. bit <laughs> and then
0: then pull him back in yeah perfect uh
1: killer well i i think we did it man thank you so much for coming on the show it's yeah. been a pleasure chatting hey, with you hey thank you Thank you. It's great. Awesome. And thank you guys for listening, watching each and every week. we got another episode coming for you next Wednesday. Uh, we'll have a link to everything that we talked about in the show notes because Bud's work super hard on those. So be sure to check out the show notes or the YouTube description if you're watching on YouTube. And uh, thanks again. And also, don't forget to, if you're watching this or listening to this, don't forget to subscribe to it. You don't want to miss any episodes. And that helps us out a ton. So don't be afraid to subscribe, and we will see you next week over and out from the bomb hole.